The views and opinions expressed by tonight's guest and topic of discussion do not necessarily represent the official policy or position of Spaced Out Radio. Spaced Out Weekend, Spaced Out Radio Limited, its hosts, syndicated carriers, or anyone associated with this broadcast. Any rebroadcast, reproduction, or other use of this broadcast or podcast without the express written consent of Spaced Out Radio or Spaced Out Radio Limited is strictly prohibited. Listener discretion is advised. the mountains of British Columbia to you listening around the world. This is Spaced Out Radio with host Dave Scott. They let us play with all our toys. They let us think that we're big boys. They let us make a lot of noise but we're the world. They let us think we're Superman. You can follow us on our website, spacedoutradio.com on iTunes and tune in. Follow Dave on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio on Facebook at Spaced Out Radio Show, or on our YouTube channel, Spaced Out Radio Show. Are you playing with Bigfoot and aliens again? Uh, Dad, you gotta stop haunting the goat. It's scaring them. All right, seriously, put down the pointy sticks. Okay! Game on! Game on! Game on! Word is. Alright, alright, alright. Buckle up, space travelers. It's time to go for a ride on Spaced Out Radio. Mr. Bumblefoot, Dave is ready for liftoff. Seriously, Dave? Really? Aren't you a little old for a tinfoil hat? I am. Toby. Bye-bye. 
Welcome to Space Out Radio tonight. I am your host, Dave Scott, and it's good to have you along for the ride on this Monday, March 27th, Tuesday, March 28th. If you were on the East Coast, hope you had a great weekend as we are live right here in Uncle Jimbo's cabin, right here in the Great White North, live seven days a week. We welcome in everyone listening in on WQEE 99, Rock the Key at noon in Georgia, at SpaceOutRadio.com, on Spreaker, on the United Public Radio Network, Renegade Talk Radio, the High Plains Talk Radio Network, and on Revolution Radio. Mr. Ron Bubblefoot Thal, formerly of Guns N' Roses, currently of Art of Anarchy, is the man behind our music. Bumblefoot rocks us in and out of every show as he is the official sound of Spaced Out Radio. You can also follow us on social media on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio. Give our Facebook page a like. Spaced Out Radio Show. On Instagram, I can be followed at Dave Scott, S-O-R. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Spaced Out Radio Show. Tune us in on TuneIn. Download our shows from iTunes. We're also on RadioGuide.fm, TalkStream Live, and on Stitcher. And of course, our website is Spaced radio.com and if you head on over to patreon.com we have some really cool offers for you well if you want to become one of our patrons make sure you check those out if you want to take part in this show remember we do not take phone calls but for you the listener if you're in one of the chat rooms either on revolution radio on spreaker on the uprn chat room or on facebook at the sor space travelers club or on our website spacedoutradio.com you can chat with me put your questions in capital letters so i know to get them to our guests or if you're on twitter use the hashtag spacedoutradio i will get to your questions and comments in there as well if you head to our website for just five bucks a month you can become an sor space traveler we offer some pretty cool swag for you it's our opportunity to give back we also have a brand new news section called the encounter online dealing with everything paranormal courtesy of our editors everett themer and eric Markham. You can check out my latest blog there as well. And if you go onto our website, fill out an SOR Sightlines report if you're an experiencer. Our researcher, Mike Schmidt, is wanting to know what's going on with you. We are live on two terrestrial stations, WQEE 99 Rock the Key down in Noon in Georgia, the home of the Walking Dead. We're also live in New Orleans on 107.7 FM, the United Public Radio Network, and over 160 countries around the world. Good to have you with us. We're live in Vegas on Renegade Talk Radio. And if you're listening in on Revolution Radio, remember, the Double R Machine is a donation station financed by you, the valued listener. Head on over to freedomslips.com and donate today. We kick off the final week of March, talking cryptids, as the final Monday of the month means it's time for Butch Witkowski's Strange Days. But tonight, we have a special guest joining us as well, Lon Strickler from PhantomsAndMonsters.com. Having both of these two guys on with us is going to be a pretty fun night. From Bigfoot to UFO sightings and everything in between, Butch and Lon are at the top of their game when it comes to the strange and obtuse. The experience these two veteran researchers have is second to none. They work hard in trying to find out the truth behind the weird and odd stories that flow in almost a daily basis. 
From werewolves to UFO landings, the knowledge and the contacts these two have had is second to none. But they are still searching for the elusive answers as to what people are seeing and going through on a daily basis. Butch Wikowski and Lon Strickler, welcome to Spaced Out Radio tonight. Gentlemen, how are you? I'm fine. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Dave. You know, Lon, I want to say thanks. I, I remember, Lon, when I was just a new guy in this field a couple of years ago, you were one of the names that, that popped up that I had to get on this show. So to get you on with Butch tonight, that means a lot. So thank you for making time for us, my friend. No problem. Butch, what's new, my friend? It's been one month. It's hard to believe. We're already on our third segment of this program for 2017. All the stuff keeps rolling in, you know, uh, UFO sightings. Uh, most recent was in um, the Harrisburg, Pennsylvania area. Uh, that was uh, three days ago. And um, bright light. Um, and was seen by uh, three different individuals. Uh, hovered for quite a while, uh, five, ten minutes according to them. And then just kind of went straight up into the sky and disappeared that was the that was the newest one um cryptids were still you know up to our ears in that one and um as far as the paranormal <laughs> i always turn that over to my buddy lon uh i learn something new about that every day uh, every day uh it's just there's so much to know and and so much to understand that it's sometimes really mind-boggling, but Lon keeps me on the straight and narrow. <laughs> well, I do have to tell you that a week ago yesterday, my wife and I, we went over to a friend's house, hot tubbing. It was a nice, clear night, and Sunday night is date night for the wife and I because, well, we got to set up the shows and during the week, and so we go hot tubbing, and you know you get that feeling that all night there's something there and you just don't see it? Well, about 10 minutes before we were actually going to be leaving, our friend Corey, who has what we've nicknamed the Space Out Radio Hot Tub, she says, oh, look at that. That looks strange. And she's pointing south. And coming from the south there were three orbs in a triangle shape. And it started flying towards where we were sitting, across the horizon from where we are, you know, almost over top. If you're looking at a, at a clock face, it would have been about 12.15 at that point. And at about 12.10, the front of the triangle, the orb at the front, takes off and heads southeast. The other two continue northeast, and... In formation, they haven't broken formation. And in formation, these two head right over to the handle of the Big Dipper. And they stop right after they pass the handle and connect up with another, what looked to be a star, a very dim star. And they sat there for the rest of the time we were outside. It was absolutely amazing. Fantastic sighting. Fantastic sighting. That, yeah, that, that is... That is a fantastic sighting. Uh, the, the, the closest I could come to that was at a, 
a star watch one of my investigators and i were pulling off basically it was more of an equipment check than it was a star watch but we were we were seeing them left and right i mean over a period of five hours and uh real high in the sky zigzagging across the sky horizon horizon the whole thing mostly orbs and uh uh, a state trooper pulled up just to check on us because we were all, were in a state park and they did have us locked in, but he was checking on us, most likely to drink our coffee was what it was all about. And um, I said, you see these things much? And he says, oh, yeah. He said, well, look at that one. And he, I had my back to where he was looking, and he says, yeah, there's one for you. And here's this thing came zigzagging across the sky and stopped. Large, very large uh, for, for the height in the sky. And it just dropped down, made like a U, came back up, continued on a zigzag pattern, stopped, and went turned a, a, a kind of a, a a real bright but a mellow yellow, and straight up into the sky. I'm going like, you see that often? He said, Oh, we see stuff like that here all the time. <laughs> I'm like, I got to start looking up more. <laughs> well, but what- that that's bizarre <laughs> oh absolutely it's absolutely bizarre when when you start getting things like that happening and you know you just have to put yourself in that type of a situation but the big question that a lot of people have and butch we'll start with you on this one and then Lon will get your opinion on this when people look up at the stars we know there's satellites flying all around we we know that they are that they are hanging around, doing their orbit, going at this, traveling at the speed that the Earth is rotating. And they're going pretty fast, but due to where we are, it looks like they're, they're doing about 30 miles an hour, if that. How, when you're looking up in the sky, for people who want that UFO experience, can they tell the difference, in your opinion, Butch, between a satellite and a UFO? Well, a, a satellite or a slow walker, will be pretty much exactly that very slow you'll be able to watch it and it's not going very far you know got to remember the earth's rotating too and the orbit is a very slow very low orbit and when you see a fast walker uh which is way different usually way higher in the sky much smaller um sometimes much brighter sometimes much not as bright and they are moving i mean you're watching you're watching them go from horizon to horizon and in a couple seconds a satellite won't do that another thing that will tell you it's a satellite is all satellites have solar panels on them for power so if you see something moving very slow and it's twinkling different colors red blue orange green you know just this myriad of colors those are the solar panels moving and catching up starlight, moonlight, sunlight, you know, earthlight, and uh, the, the solar winds are, are moving those panels. And then some of them move and rotate, you know, toward the brightest light for power. So you'll get a twinkling effect. Um, a fast walker, high in the sky, there is no twinkle. It is a solid object. It'll be a solid color. Uh, it could be one, it could be two, it could be three, it could be more. Uh, normally the fast walks that are seen are very high. Uh, they'll be moving at horrendous speeds. I mean, like I said, you can watch them go from horizon to horizon in just a matter of seconds. 
and they'll be zigzagging. They won't have a straight course. They'll dip, they'll turn, they'll stop and go again. Satellites don't do that. Lon, what's your opinion on that? Well, I, I'm not really a, a UFO guy, but I've been, you know, I've been getting a lot of reports for a lot of years. Uh, you know, I, I, I really don't have much of an explanation for what people see for the most part. I mean, m- most of the sightings are just like an orb like sighting. It may be high in the sky. It may be fairly close. I don't know, but I, I, I still have my doubts about, uh, interstellar travel by these, uh, so-called alien or aliens uh, craft I think a lot of it may be earth based I think a lot of these settings may be actually government um, but then you know I then again I have had so many reports and so many uh, heard so many theories about uh, on earth type of UFOs you know coming from undergrounds or in mountain from mountain facilities and such i mean is it is it actually extraterrestrial non-terrestrial i don't know mm-hmm. there's a lot of explanation that needs to go on with that and butch i bring you back in here for a second because you being more the ufo guy of the duo tonight what about those ones and i like to call them the strobers where they seem to flick a light it looks like a strobing that you see on an airline but sometimes it goes once every little bit other times you can get like a pattern of three or four nothing like an airliner what do you think those are then i think those are are from this planet uh because first of all we have stuff that can fly you know years ago 50 flying at 50 and 60 thousand feet was that was a feat uh not anymore we have, we have planes that can do that Mm-hmm. and higher and um and you know one of the things that uh, and a long time old time researcher told me he said just remember this he says those things that are flying that we don't know the the quote unquote ufo they don't need collision lights they wouldn't have any flickering lights but over the years and this goes back a long time where you know um uh, people have seen triangles, you know, they'll have three lights, but usually the lights are the same color. My my personal sighting was that of that large object I saw in Arizona back in 89. That had very dim, faint green lights along the side. So, but the stuff that we see high in the sky where you're seeing actual strobes, they're most likely nine out of ten chances they belong to us or one see, of our competitors. See, I- I'm going to debate that with you. Uh, you know, I'm going to, we're going to go hockey here. We're going to drop the gloves at center ice over this one. And the reason okay. why, and the reason why I say that, my friend, in all jest, of course, in respect, when I had my UFO sighting, and you, uh, you've, I've told this story to you. Boy, I sound like I'm stuttering today. Whatever. You know, but when I had my UFO landing site right in front of me, about 150 mm-hmm. yards away, the third time on my command, when it turned its lights on for me, it actually started to do that strobing on the ground. And that's why I've been thinking ever since then that 
there's something more to that strobing than just a fast rotating piece of space junk or even something of ours. Because oh, and if, I go ahead. But yeah, but I agree with that because all the ones that like the, the the ones that have seen low, like close to the ground or on the ground, or uh, you know, five hundred feet, a thousand feet, fifteen hundred feet. There's always light seen, always either strobing or steady, uh, multicolor or one color. Uh, yeah, but as far as the ones high in the sky, um, I, I'll, I'll still stick with their R's, but now the stuff low, low in the atmosphere, closer to the ground where you have a report, uh, like the Belgium report, that triangle in Belgium, uh, I can't remember the year right now, uh, the photograph that was taken, the lights are clearly visible, but it was only like 2,500 feet above the ground, and uh, the center light wasn't strobing. That was solid, but the light on the tips of the triangle were strobing. So I think when you get, you know, when we're looking at a fast walker, you know, across the sky, you know, you're thinking of, it's, it's not at 50 or 60,000 feet. It's way above that. I mean, it's in the stars. And uh, the, the, the sightings over the years that have always mentioned the, um, strobing lights or steady lights or multiple changing lights have always been reports that were very close to the ground or were on the ground. Um, and uh, uh, the New Mexico sighting, the Socorro sighting, um, the lights were clearly visible. It was on the ground, and the lights were strobing. Now, they weren't strobing fast, but they were still strobing. But I think the ones that are in that 50,000, 60,000 altitude range, uh, I, I really believe they're ours because, you know, we got, we got stuff that will fly way above that yet. And um, most of those are seen, which is curious too, that most of those high in the sky that are strobing are seen over the continental United States and Canada and not so much seen over seas like in England or the Middle East or stuff like that. Um, but usually the ones that are seen low to the ground or on the ground, report-wise, all mention strobing lights or solid lights or multicolored lights flashing on and off or zigzagging back and forth like a police car. Speaking of police cars, as a former police officer... I didn't do uh, it. I know you didn't. <laughs> I know you did But you possibly could have. And I'm just going to put okay. that out there. Yeah, you possibly could have. I actually, uh, the wife and I went out with some friends on Saturday night, and I was introduced to a retired police officer down in the Vancouver area. So I got to talking with him, and I said, you know, I just have to ask, because I've never asked a police officer this before. Well, at least out in public, not on the radio show. I said, did you ever deal with anything in the paranormal? And he says to me, hot damn, I love talking about that stuff. He goes, absolutely, yes. And I said, well, I said, UFOs or just paranormal? He goes, everything. And I said, my next follow-up question was, do you or did you have any protocol if anything strange was to be reported? He says, no, there was no rule to it. However... There was the unwritten code, you don't talk about it, because the last thing you want to do over the radio is spark the media. 
You don't want to file that report. Some reporter going through and, and sees a report that we were chasing a UFO or we were chasing a ghost or a Bigfoot or something along those lines. He goes, so no, there was no rules about it. But yes, it did happen. We just chose not to report on it because we didn't want the harassment from any media. What was it like for you, Butch, when you were an officer or or a deputy in the police force? I'm going to get the American terms right. It's a whole Canadian enemy. When were you? When you were a constable? We'll just call you a constable. What was, it like? <laughs> what was it? What was it like? Well, I mean. If you saw anything out of the ordinary, of course, you made an incident report. But an incident report is different than an open report. An open report, like the newspaper guys would come in, hey, anything going on this week or anything? Yeah, we had an accident or we had a suicide or we had this, we had that, and there's a report, and they can pick everything off there they want unless it's been deleted or blacked out. But on an incident report, like say you had strange lights in the sky or um, old Mrs. Leary said that, you know, there was something chasing her cow around out in the field that was big and hairy or something like that, that never left the office. That never left the office. That went in a, that went in a file, and that the, the chief was the guy that had the key, the key to that file. And, Lon, during your time as an investigator, did you ever get to chat with a lot of police officers who may have had strange experiences? Oh, yeah, I got a, I got a lot of reports from police officers. I mean, um, throughout North America. Um, it, and actually, I'm glad I do because they account for some of the most credible uh, sightings or encounters that I receive. But, yeah, and it runs a gamut, too, of what type of activity. I would love it if you could share one or, the, or two of those stories with our listeners here. <laughs> I'd have to dig one up. Um, I, give, me, give me a chance to look through one. I'll look for one. I'll get it for you. Okay, I'll take care. I'll, I'll give you one while you're looking, Lon. Okay. Okay, uh, this happened, it was probably the uh, late 70s. Uh, I got the report uh, firsthand from a, uh, uh, a law enforcement officer here in Pennsylvania. That was at a very vicious automobile accident. Multiple fatalities, truck on its side, many cars involved. Lots of police officers at the scene, lots. And uh, they saw a light coming toward them from the sky, uh, assuming it was a helicopter coming in to bring some starlight in off the searchlight on the copter. And um, they could see, they looked around, they could see everybody. Nothing was moving. Nobody was moving. Everybody was kind of frozen in place as this light went overhead. Um, now, this was a big scene. There were fire departments there. There were rescue people there. There were ambulances there. Many police, many police officers. It was a very bad wreck at a major intersection. And the officer said, I could see everybody. I didn't hear a sound. There was no sirens wailing no machinery running to cut people out of vehicles, although he could see the people at the vehicle, you know, trying to extricate people from the crash, but nothing, nothing happened. There was, there was no sound, uh, just this bright light, which only hovered for about a minute, and then it moved off. He said, and when it moved off, he said, everything was right back to normal, just like before the light came. So... One officer looked at the other officer. The officer was talking to me and said, I asked him what happened, and he said, I don't know. Everything stopped. 
and the helicopter left. Well, the helicopter wasn't there yet. So as they turned around, they could see this thing steadily climbing, climbing, climbing till it went into high clouds and disappeared. And they brought this up uh, to another couple officers at the scene, and everybody had the same same uh, thing happen where everything just ceased. It stopped dead. It was cold. There was nothing going on. Even though they could see everybody doing whatever they were doing, it was just like they were frozen in time for just that minute. And um, then a, a few minutes after that, as they were proceeding with what they were doing at the scene, then here comes the helicopter and lights up the area. And it is a helicopter. And he said, what we nobody ever took notice of while the light was coming toward us is we didn't hear it. We didn't hear the helicopter. When the helicopter actually arrived, we heard it when it was a good ways off yet coming in. And uh, everybody filled out paperwork. And I said, so what happened to the paperwork? He said, you know, he said uh, three or four years later, he said, I went to dig that incident up. He said, of course, the accident information was there, you know, the basic accident forms and all that stuff that was filled out. But he said every incident report that was filed by every officer, EMT, fireman that was on the scene that filed on the incident report, those incident reports were not there. Oh. Where do you think they go? Do you think they just get destroyed by uh, an overactive uh, sergeant or captain who just doesn't want that in his building or the harassment that could potentially follow on that? Or do you think that they're actually scooped up by some higher authority? It could be either one. I mean, if you're a chief of a small department, let's say you got a 10 or 15 man department and you know every year, you know, your job and your guys' jobs all depend on, you know, how well you do and how how you react with the folks out in the field, of course, and with your bosses. Uh to walk into a, a meeting of supervisors and say, "Hey, we saw a UFO last night and everybody saw it and blah blah blah," you know, pretty soon they're going to think like time we hire new guys. <laughs> Lon, how you doing over there? Yeah, I got one I received actually about a month ago. This was a um, this was a highway patrolman in um, Florida, and he uh, he told me it was about five years ago when he was a two year rookie. He said he he wasn't very familiar with the history of the area that he was working at the time. Um, he said I was working midnight shift, and we got a call that. A fatal car crash had happened, and uh, he said I headed up there, and I was, he was actually the first trooper on the scene. So he checked with the deputies, and then they gave him the rundown. <clears throat> uh, what happened was a naked guy ran, walked out into the highway, right into the path of a semi. Uh, he said there were parts here and there, and everywhere, and and. Uh, there's a pickup truck off the woods about 500 foot back. Uh, so, I, you know, I'm on, he said, I'm on long enough to keep my breakfast down, but still not enough to not be completely unnerved by being surrounded by the smell of recent death. He said, long story short, he said the man was mentally disturbed. The investigators told me he must've been having a meltdown, crashed his truck in the tree line to commit suicide. And, of course, when that didn't work, he just walked out and stripped his clothes off, walked out in front of the truck and killed himself. Um, he said he worked about six fatals that month alone. 
So, but he said some weird things then started to happen about a, a week later. He said, um, he said, I'm working and I get a call from a pedestrian on the interstate in actually the same area as the fatal crash and suicide. So routine call, usually some drunk who uh, drove into a ditch and tried to put some distance between him and the DUI arrest. So I traveled the 40 miles up there not expecting to find anyone. I do get there, and sure enough, there's no one there. So I turn around and start driving away. So about 30 minutes later, I get a second call from a pedestrian in the same place. So I head back up there and surprise, nothing. I, I drive away. I get about three miles down the road, and the dispatcher calls me again. Two odd things, though. He said, I'm, I'm still in the area, and I didn't see any cars that could have been calling the site in. So I flip a U-turn in the middle of the medium, and I head back. Uh, at this point, I, I figured it was teenagers screwing around or with our dispatcher, or, you know, some vagrant trying to hitchhike and uh, hiding from me in the woods. So I pulled back into the medium and back my car up into the tree line and cut my lights out and start watching the shoulder. <clears throat> so after about 10 minutes, right where the suicide had taken place, I see the shape of a man move from the tree line to the road, and he walks right up to the road. I turn my spotlight on, and the whole thing just disappears. No motion, as if someone ran off, just gone. So I put my car into gear and got out of there, and then the car dies. Nothing really supernatural about a Crown Vic with 180,000 miles just breaking down, but he said the timing was pretty strange. So I started trying to get the engine to turn over, and uh, I noticed the trees behind me rustling. Finally, the engine turns over, I put the car in gear and head out, as far away as I could from that spot. So a few nights later, I'm sitting at breakfast with one of the old salts, and uh, I tell him what happened, and he looked at me and says, hey, don't go up there alone at night. Back in the 90s, a trooper kidnapped, raped, and murdered a woman in the uh, trees in the medium, right there in the same place. He went uh, to tell me that a lot of guys have had experiences with the cars dying in that area. And he said, the whole area just feels wrong when I pass through. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, I even thought they ripped up the forest to expand the road. He said, but it's just, uh, he said, it's, it still does happen. That is scary, scary indeed. What happens as an officer or officers you've talked to then who say get a cryptid report in, Lon? Maybe it's Bigfoot, maybe it's Dogman, the Frogman of Ohio, goblins, whatever it could be. How do you think officers react to something like that? Oh, I think for the most part they react the same as everybody else. Uh, they're, they're put under different parameters as far as reporting things, but you know, they're, they had no problem making a report to me if I, if that remains anonymous, very rarely they give their name out or want their name put out there. But, uh, it was, you know, I, when I do a report like that, and if I do publish it for the most part, it's usually a general area thing and, uh, not, not much as far as being specific. Butch, what's your reaction? When you were an officer, did you receive any calls about 
Bigfoot or weird, strange creature sightings? No, not, none at all. Um, the only thing we ever had that I would consider to be odd was in the area that I worked, there was an, a very old church. It was still active, but a very old church. And um, a number of different uh, groups uh, had access to the church. Uh, some were religious, some were just uh, meeting groups. And um, one night on patrol, one of our cars called in and asked for backup at the church. He thought he had a break-in. And um, so I got in the car and, and went out and met him out there. And you could see a light. I mean, it was like somebody was inside with a flashlight. So I said, okay, so we got a break-in. Now, this building only had two doors, one to go in and one to go out the back. That was it. There were no other entrances to that building. So... Uh, I blocked the door at the back. I just put the car up to get out, and uh, we went in the other door, and it was pitch black. And it wasn't a very—it's not a very big church. Probably the size of uh, maybe a fifteen hundred square foot home. Um, flashed around lights. I mean, looked under everything. Looked around. There was nothing. There was nobody in there. The doors weren't forced or anything like that. So we did a double check and you know everything was as it should be uh we called the rector who lived about three miles away he drove down he looked at everything he said no nothing's missing everything's good they didn't uh, like they had a money box there a donation box on the wall that wasn't touched so we left about an hour and a half later the rector calls us and he says there's somebody in that building he said i can see a light he said i just drove past to check the place there's somebody in that building so we hightail it back there, and as we're pulling up, I can see the light. I can see, like, um, you know, a dark house and somebody walking through the house with a flashlight. And, again, uh, lock the back door, uh, go back up front, walk in the front door, and, again, there's nothing there. There is nothing, nothing at all. But an 1836 Bible that was there when we were there the first time on the table was gone. It was gone. There was no nowhere in that place, and it's not a very big place. And he said, I saw it. I said, yeah, I saw it too. <laughs> it's laying right on that table. And uh, so, you know, we did the dusting for fingerprints and all that stuff. We didn't come up with anything. We took photographs. Um, matter of fact, it was really a display Bible. It wasn't used, and you could see it, you know, the, where it was, there was a dust dust around it from where the Bible actually sat. So we just kind of left it at what it was, you know, unresolved. About, I think it was seven or eight months later, one, uh, another patrolman uh, called in and said, there's a guy coming in the office needs to speak with you. And I said, okay, I'm here. So gentleman comes into the office, and he's got a, 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 a paper bag, and he said, I just found this, and he said, I don't know where it belongs, but maybe you have some, and I opened the bag, and of course I pull out the Bible, and I said, where did you find this at? He said, well, up the tracks, there's a small home, yeah, I said, I'm familiar with it, there's a railroad track that kind of runs along the church, not close, but close enough, you could walk to it, it's not far away, a couple hundred yards. And he said, I found it in the old shack, old Pete's shack. And I said, 
okay. He said, maybe Pete came for it. And I said, well, who's Pete? He said, well, he was kind of the building supervisor of that little offshoot there at the train. And he said many, many years back, he said they would stop and drop things off there and almost like UPS, you know, one of those deals, but equipment. And I said, okay, so who's old Pete and where is he? He said, well, old Pete shot himself in the head. He got despondent over a wife dying and just casually sucked on a shotgun one night and blew his head off. And I said, so how did you come in touch with this? He said, I walk up there with my dog all the time. And he said, I walked up there and he said, it was kind of strange that the door was open. He said, because that door was always screwed shut and there's two padlocks on it. I said, let's go. So we went up, walked down the tracks, got to the little shack there. And you could see where those, those two locks were just twisted off, just not cut, just twisted. Like somebody grabbed it and twisted that lock right off and opened the door. I said, where'd you find this? He said, over there on that pillow next to that old bed there. And the place smelled musky and, you know, there was a lot of stuff hanging on the ceiling yet that I'm pretty sure was Pete. And he said, uh, that was laying right there. He said, I just thought it was odd. First of all, the place was open. And second of all, that, that thing, that book looks like it's very well taken care of. And he said, so I just thought I'd bring it in. And till this day, I haven't figured that one out yet. So twice we see the lights. There's nobody there. There's no break-in. The second time, the Bible goes missing. Then a guy, months later, walks in with a Bible in a paper bag that he finds in an old shack down from the church along the railroad track in a small shack where a guy killed himself sitting on the bed with a shotgun and the Bible is laying on the pillow. That's as far as I went. That's as far as I went with paranormal at that point and didn't want to go any further. You don't think it was a crowbar or anything that kind of tugged oh, that no, lock no. over? Nope. The crowbar, the crowbar would have definitely ripped the, the Aspen lock out of the out of wood. That was never touched. It was just like somebody grabbed the lock and just twisted it. And I, I'm sure they're still down the evidence locker. And that was many, many years ago. And no broken windows or doors nope. that anybody nope, could have nope, got nope. in? One door in and out, no windows. Uh, there was a little window in the door. Uh, I, I forgot about that. A little window in the door, probably two foot by two foot square. Other than that, no windows. A coal stove, um, a bed, a single bed, old spring mattress bed, um, a small table with two chairs. Um, there were some shelves on the wall and um, an old wooden cook stove. That's all that was in that building. Lon, when you hear a story like that, do you think automatically it's paranormal, or do you look for the skeptics way out of that story, or stories like it? Um, <laughs> you know, even, even though I, I do get a lot of reports, I am kind of a skeptic to a degree, but uh, with with all the the evidence in that particular report, I mean, you got you got to figure there was something behind that. Uh, I mean, I can't make a judgment as to what it was, but uh, you know, it's interesting, and it, it would be, probably be something I'd look into. 
Milo has a question in the Spreaker chat room at Spaced Out Radio. And he is asking, Lon, we'll start with you on this one. What about police officers or anybody who gets called to one of these cattle mutilations that goes on? That would seem something that I think of as a police officer, I'd be really weirded out by. Well, I had a, uh, I had actually had a report, and I'm trying to think exactly what happened. But this was in, um, this was about eight or nine years ago. This is an, it was in Iberia, Louisiana. I remember the name. The these police officers, state troopers, got a call of this this large steer that was laying in the middle of the highway. And when they got there, it was, you know, it was like typically what what people report of these mutilations. The eyes were were out. It was uh, precision cuts all over the animal. Uh, it was just like something had dropped this thing from the sky right into the uh, the highway. And, uh, you know, they... I had actually I had seen that report in the in MUFON in in the uh, uh, the case management uh, file that they they used to occasionally have up there now, uh, but that was kind of unusual. That that kind of sticks in my mind. Butch, I know you and I have talked about cattle mutilations on this show before. Did you ever deal with any cattle mutilations as an officer, or did you hear reports about other officers having to cover these strange sightings? No, there's never been uh, a cattle mutilation reported in the state of Pennsylvania, ever. But even if one did happen, it would still be conducted like any other investigation. Evidence would be gathered, photographs taken, measurements, samples. Um Pretty much every town and township has a local veterinarian. You know, I would probably be calling one of them to come out and look. But um, n- there's never been one reported in the state. But I know you've looked into human mutilations, animal mutilations. Yes. Let's go back there, because literally you and I haven't talked about that in over a year. How often is this happening? Probably more than we care to talk about. I mean, when you look at the number of people that are missing or reported missing, and I'm not talking about the ones in the state parks, um, that's a, a whole other thing there. Um, we have, uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people that go missing, and they're just not found. There's no bodies, there's no clothing, there's no used credit cards, uh, no, uh, nothing that would be deemed a kidnapping or a murder or anything like that. I mean, these people are just gone. Um, it's still happening. Uh, human mutilations, uh, the last reports that I found or saw, and two were sent to me, were from England. Uh, so they're still going on around the world. But when you look at that scenario of people just gone missing, you know, a country like the United States or countries like England, 
you know, we keep good records. There's police departments and stuff like that. But when you think about it, what about the Middle East or 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 um, North Africa, South Africa? I mean, there have been reports of whole villages that have gone missing overnight. Uh, in uh, the midsection of South Africa, and I can't remember the name of the town. It was I, I can't, probably can't even pronounce it anymore. But there was a town of about 80 people, men, women, children, old, young. Um, the men would go off every day. They'd go to a, a local uh, quarry uh, and work, uh, a, a plantation quarry. I forget which one it was. And they'd return home like at you know 6 p.m. at the evening, but they'd leave very early in the morning. And they came home, and nobody. Everybody was gone. Laundry was hanging out. Uh, the dogs were there, you know, cats, chickens, cattle. Uh, food was on the stove cooking. Uh, everything looked normal, just minus the people. And they were never found. And the investigation, from what I gathered from the investigator that told me about it, he said the investigation really lasted about a week, and they just wrote it off. So knowing the numbers here in the United States of the amount of people that are missing, when you think about the whole world as, as in that scenario, I mean, how many people really are missing that are never found? I mean, it has to be an unbelievable amount of, of people. Now, whether that's abductions or uh, they're just taken or... It's our space brethren that are involved. It, it's hard to say because there's really no proof. And over in England, the, the strange thing about those cases over there is the one family that was found, they were skinned. I mean, the bodies were there, but they were skinned. And I mean skinned like somebody unzipped the suit and just took them out of the suit. And that case was immediately pounced on by the military. And uh, at one time, there was a lot of, of that on the Internet information of that particular incident. But that's vanished. I mean, that's just gone. I mean, when you're, you know, on average here in the United States, according to the National Crime Information Center, the FBI, the people that put all this information together, all this data together, you know, you have... About 40,500, 600 people missing every year. And, you know, when you take that back to when they started doing the uh, those reports, which was 1991, that's 693,000 people that are just gone. They're just vanished. And then you have these strange sightings out in Washington State off the coast where you have a boot show up or sneaker, and many of them, with just a foot in them, or a leg, or an arm. Imagine you bringing that up. I actually have a gentleman in May coming on to talk about that because he was a reporter covering all those missing feet here in Vancouver. That's just bizarre. That's weird. That I is mean, a weird story. Now, and and... And the whole, it's a very large area. It's not a small area. It's not like one little inlet. I mean, it's all along the coast. So, 
and and the ages, uh, young, old, didn't really matter, male, female, that didn't matter. Uh, so the first report that I saw, well, it was a serial killer. Well, why is he only cutting off one foot? Where's the rest of the body? Then, then another guy came up, another investigator, he said, well, these are people that fell off a ship and drowned. You know, they're going to come up with all kinds of excuses, but nobody's going to have an answer. But well, there the, has to be the answer out there. The theory up here is, and I don't know if you've ever been to Vancouver, but Vancouver is surrounded by bridges. And imagine it's much like Pittsburgh, where you have a lot of bridges. And all of Vancouver's bridges are very tall bridges. Like, between the water and and the bridge, they're probably a minimum of 15 to 20 stories high. And, you know, it's a good fall. And Vancouver, being a, a very... Oh, what kind of market could I say? It's an eclectic market of rich, of Asian, of homosexual, heterosexual, hipsters. There's a there's an eclectic group of people in Vancouver. And it's an expensive city. It's a happy city, but it's also a depressive city because it's ex- very, very expensive. And you see a lot of that in expensive cities. So what they are putting the whole theory on is because of the currents, which head right in or that are connected to the ocean around the little bays and gorges and everything is that they are committing suicide by jumping off the bridges, even though none of those tapes have revealed anything and there's cameras on every bridge, but that they've jumped off the bridge, they've they've gone underneath the current, the current's taken them out into the ocean for a while, the fish have fe- fed on them until the leg gives way or the one foot gives way and washes up somewhere on the shore. That's the theory that they are giving. But then I hope they have the missing persons reports to back that up. I agree with you on that, and I can tell you this. i got a friend of mine uh, who I worked in broadcasting in Vancouver with, and he is adamant that there is a murderer doing something. There is a serial killer. The police just don't want to make the public panic that there is a serial killer, you know, throwing bodies into the ocean and letting them basically be eaten by the crustaceans and the fish until the foot gives away. The reason why the foot is preserved is because the fish and the crustaceans cannot get through the rubber shoe. Usually it's a running shoe or a dress shoe, mostly a running shoe, like a Nike or a Brooks or a New Balance, where the crustaceans can't get into there. So the foot is preserved. And I guess it lets go at the ankle or at the knee or something along those lines. The tissues give away. Yeah, it's always at a joint. Yeah, and that's what causes the foot to sail away. So I don't know. Another another mystery. Yeah. May 4th, Winston Ross will be on. So you have to check that out with us, Butch. I will. Gentlemen, we have less than a minute before we are going to go to break here on Spaced Out Radio. So we got a lot of topics to get into in the next two hours. I say we get into some Really cool cryptids. Lon, I know you got some amazing cryptid stories that you could probably share out with us off the top of your head. I'm looking forward to that. I'm so excited you're here, Lon. Well, I appreciate it. Not a problem. 
Not a problem. And Butch, always a good time with you, my friend. That's why we do this the first Monday or the last Monday of every month on Space Out Radio. It's always fun. Oh, yeah, we enjoy it. I just wish the people would get to actually hear the banter that you and I have before the show. There's just way too <laughs> many way too many swear words in that, people. Way yeah, 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 too yeah, many we... swear words in that. You yeah, know, but, yeah, yeah. but that's <laughs> the way we work it. Gentlemen, I'm going to get you guys to hold on. We're going to head off to break here on Spaced Out Radio. Coming up, more cryptid talk with Lon Strickler and Butch Wachowski on Spaced Out Radio right after this. From coast to coast to coast, Blacklight Uncharted is taking on the paranormal across Canada. From ghostly hauntings to the UFOs flying above in conjunction with MUFON Canada, they're closely investigating what's going on in the northern skies and checking out the apparitions that walk among us. Check out our videos right here at spacedoutradio.com. We want to know your thoughts, we want to hear your experiences, and we want you to share your stories. The answers are out there, and we intend to find them. Would you like to become one of our space travelers? All you have to do is click on the Space Travelers icon at spacedoutradio.com. For only $5 a month, you can get access to some great prizes, as well as private monthly shows, newsletters, and a members-only section on our website. Become a space traveler today. The third Monday of every month, Spaced Out Radio is going to bring you a different look at everything paranormal. Welcome to The Reporters. Jim Mallard, Vanessa Hogle, Denise Garcia, and Christina George join me, Dave Scott, for a look at the weird and strange from the other side of the microphone. We'll break down ghosts, UFOs, cryptids, and the people investigating them. The paranormal media has never been heard like this. Come listen to The Reporters. It's paranormal news at its finest. Welcome to The Encounter. At spaceoutradio.com, The Encounter Online is SOR's trusted news source for everything weird and strange going on around the world. This is news editor Eric Markham. Our team of journalists are scouring the planet for those strange stories that rarely make the mainstream. No fear-mongering or fake news here. Head over to spaceoutradio.com and encounter The Encounter. Hey, this is Canadian Paranormal Investigator Mike Moore. The third Wednesday of every month, I'll be teaming up with Dave Scott to bring you Ghosts of the Great White North. Each month, we will bring on guests from across Canada to discuss their ghostly encounters. Canada is a paranormal hotbed with stories you've never heard, so we're going to bring them to you. So get comfy on your Chesterfield, grab a donut, and join us, eh? Have you had an experience you can't explain? Had a run-in with ghosts, maybe Bigfoot, or seen lights in the sky? Hi, I'm Mike Schmidt from the SOR Sightlines. I'm here to investigate your sighting. Head to spacedoutradio.com and fill out a report on the sightlines. All your information is 100% confidential, and I will help you figure out what you've been seeing. File your report, and let's find out the answers together. Visit purpleplates.com today. For over 40 years, the Purple Energy Plates have been delivering amazing results for their many customers. Inspired by the great genius Nikola Tesla, the harmony, healing, and energetic effects of the plates have proven over and over to be beneficial and often miraculous to thousands of customers. With their money-back guarantee and the many benefits, how can you afford not to get one? Check their site for daily specials and choose from their many energy products. You won't be sorry. Visit them today at 
purpleplates.com for mind, body, and spirit. And expect a miracle. Are you interested in advertising on Spaced Out Radio? Head to our website at spacedoutradio.com and click on our advertising tab. There, you will find an assortment of ways you can get your product out there with us, from radio commercials to banners and social media. Have a product you like our hosts to endorse? We can do that too. Visit spacedoutradio.com for more details. Have you got your Cosmic Passport? If you need one, tune in to Cosmic Passport on Spaced Out Weekend. This is Elizabeth Anglin, ET experiencer, spirit medium, and host of Cosmic Passports. Each weekend, I'll be bringing you interviews and support from other paranormal experiencers and the best in intuitive spiritual guidance from across the globe. It's all happening starting at 9 p.m. Pacific Time, midnight Eastern, on spacedoutradio.com. From British Columbia to Northern California, Pacific North Weird has Cascadia covered. Check out our feature videos at spacedoutradio.com, where I... Vincent Zunza and my super sleuth partner Alexandra Sullivan track down the weird and strange stories from around the Pacific Northwest, from Bigfoot to Mel's Hole and everything in between. This is what makes life exciting. So why report the normal when we can report the Pacific North Weird? Right here at spacedoutradio.com. Oh, there's only one way to rock loud and proud. In high definition, Radio 702 Rocks, Las Vegas. Every Saturday and Sunday night, as Dave Scott wanders aimlessly in the wilderness, you can come hang out with me, James Tyson, and Spaced Out Weekend. Starting at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern, I'll take you along as we talk with some of the best experts in their fields. SpacedOutRadio.com is the place to find us. So sit down, relax, put your feet up, enjoy the topics like the paranormal, supernatural, intuitiveness, and so much more. Hope to see you there. Don't have time to listen to Spaced Out Radio Live? Wherever you are, the car, the office, the shower, or even if you're traveling, we're right here for you. Each Spaced Out Radio show can be found on iTunes, TuneIn, and on our YouTube channel, Spaced Out Radio Show. It's the perfect way for you to catch up on our shows. For more information, just head over to our website, spacedoutradio.com, and tune in to us today. The views and opinions expressed by tonight's guest and topic of discussion do not necessarily represent the official policy or position of Spaced Out Radio. Spaced Out Weekend, Spaced Out Radio Limited, its hosts, syndicated carriers, or anyone associated with this broadcast. Would you like to connect with us? Head to spacedoutradio.com for all your latest show info. And hit us up on Twitter using the hashtag SpacedOutRadio. Now, back to Dave Scott and SOR. Welcome back to the second hour of Spaced Out Radio tonight. Good to have you with us. Tomorrow night on the program, all the way from England, we will have Gary Heseltine on. We're going to be talking police and UFOs. Gary has a website dedicated to police officers who've had UFO and alien sightings. We're going to go the distance tomorrow. 
talking about police and UFOs. 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern time at spacedoutradio.com. Hey, we want to welcome in our terrestrial radio stations, the United Public Radio Network, live on 107.7 FM in New Orleans and over 160 countries around the world. We are also live on WQEE 99, Rock the Key, down in Noonan, Georgia, the home of the Walking Dead. Good to have you with us on a nightly basis as well, Noonan. Thank you for tuning us in, especially all you college students who are probably getting ready to study for finals. We're also live in Las Vegas on Renegade Talk Radio and on Revolution Radio. Remember, the Double R Machine is a donation station financed by you, the valued listener. Head on over to freedomslips.com and donate today. Bill Cardwell has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Psycho Neuro and I butchered that right off the bat. Thanks, Bill. I did hit it good, or hit it well, during the break when I practiced. Psycho, psycho and neuroendocrinology. Psychoneuroendocrinology. I think that's a password. I'm not sure if I hit it or not, but that's the way it goes. That's your password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Hey, if you want to follow us on social media, you can do so on Twitter, at Spaced Out Radio. Use the hashtag Spaced Out Radio if you want to chat with me live during the show. Love to hear from you, like Skeptic, like Les, like Jeff, and numerous others. You can also give our Facebook page a like, Spaced Out Radio Show. Tune us in on TuneIn. Download this show and others on iTunes. You can go to radioguide.fm, talk stream live, or Stitcher to hear us out as well. Our website is spacedoutradio.com, where we have a plethora of features for you, including reading up on the brand new Encounter Online, our news section by Everett Themer and Eric Markham. Check it out today. And if you want to become a Spaced Out Radio patron, head over to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, where you can become a patron of ours for as low as as $1 a month. Lon Strickler from Phantoms and Monsters joins Butch Wachowski during Strange Days here on Spaced Out Radio. Butch is here the final Monday of every month. Welcome back, gentlemen. Hey, Dave. Now, during the break, Lon, you just mentioned to me a few minutes ago about how you were looking into a case here in Canada and through remote viewing, you had an interesting site, or or your crew had an interesting site. I'd love for you to break that down. Well, yeah, we uh, we were aware of this. Um, what you you and Butch were talking about, as far as these these uh, shoes with feet being found on shorelines up and down the coast, and um, <clears throat> we had actually done a. Um, I had been part of an RV group back at that time. Uh, this was about six years ago, and so every once in a while, for um, for practice, because we would use RV for various cases we were doing, uh, we would we would use uh, cases that were going on or mysteries that were actually going on, and do RVs on them. So this this particular case was the one we had. Um, focused in on there was um there were four of us in this rv group and making a long story short when we went through all the phases and everything and then came up with a review of it 
we decided that it we thought it was actually a serial killer involved in this. Um, the particular area that we thought he was rooming, uh, I don't actually remember what it was, but it was like a high, a specific highway in, in, um, outside of Seattle, the Seattle area in, uh, state of Washington. And he was actually moving across up and across the border into, uh, British Columbia. So we had put together a report and I had sent it to the RCMP, uh, local police in British Columbia, uh, provincial police, I guess. And, uh, also several police, um, departments in and around that Seattle and the area where this was going on. And, uh, I don't know. I th- I think I probably sent it to 15, 20 different jurisdictions. And uh, we still, we never heard anything back on it. As an investigator, do you find that disappointing that they wouldn't give yeah, you the time? It, yeah, it's frustrating. We had, and I was told, I, I had talked to Butch about another case we got involved with years ago. There was a, um, there was a missing person, actually a, a teenage girl who was missing in and uh, a neighborhood in South London, and um, we did. It was four or five of us in the group that time. We did the RV, and we got very, very uh, strong evidence that we thought the girl was alive, but being held within a specific house, which was one of her relatives' homes. We, uh, you know, all of us were getting the same vibe on this thing. We all sensed that she was alive, but being held against her will. Uh, this case actually made national news in, in United Kingdom. And, uh, we knew about it and, uh, we sent information to, uh, Scotland Yard reports to the, uh, specific, jurisdiction police in in the area where this happened but then again we never heard anything from them turned out she was found dead in the same area exact same area where we thought she was being held alive so i don't know you know looking at the timeline she could have very well been found alive i think and this is my opinion and i you know, I did complain to the police department about it. I sent a, I sent a letter to Scotland Yard telling them we had given them an area and uh, we thought it was important for them to follow up on, but they just they just didn't do it. Butch, does that happen often? Um. Like, like where oh, where the police doesn't more, do, don't do it. They just don't show up or pay attention to it. More often than not, um, the and it's it's mostly smaller departments, or it goes the other direction with bigger departments that are are just strained and drained. Um, you know, they don't have enough manpower, but um, 
that happens overseas a lot. I mean, some of when I was looking into the human mutilation cases and the and the cattle mutilations and the uh, the um, cases that were back in time in the 18th, 17th century, that would these mutilated bodies were come up the same way. And uh, a couple of years ago, maybe two years ago, I gotten some information and some reports on uh, sheep being um, mutilated, much the same as the cows, with one exception: the all the sheep were found with a a three triangle holes or three holes in the shape of a triangle, one inch behind the ear, and now the brain was removed. Uh, the brain stem was not damaged, but the brain was gone. Now, we've never seen that here in the United States uh, with cattle mutilations. The brain is always there. But everything else on that, that sheep was done the same. And um, talking with the investigator over the years, I mean, he said nobody just won't even look at it. He can't get anybody to look at it, uh, whether it's a veterinarian or anybody to look at the pictures or to look at the bodies. I mean, he just... They don't pay any attention to it. And I had a case two years ago in uh, North Dakota where uh, um, I'm sure all your folks are familiar with a riding ring where they riding rink uh, where they train horses. Now this is an indoor ring, so um, uh, they're tr- teaching them for dr- dressage and other uh, events that they get into barrel racing. But this was a, a girl. Uh, and um, she just stopped at the ring, put the, stopped the horse in the middle of the ring, dropped the reins, and went to get something in the tack room. Now, the tack room from where she left the horse was approximately, uh, I think it was 40 or 45 feet away. She went in, got what she wanted. She came out, and there stood the horse, and the whole side of the horse's jaw is missing. It's been opened up surgically, and his whole lower left jaw is missing. And I have the photographs. Now, there are no nails or anything sticking out or anything protruding out in these rings because of people riding in there. You don't want to brush up against a wall and have a nail take your leg off. So it was nothing to do with the ring, and the horse was exactly where she left it, nor did the horse let out any noise. Now, my wife was an equestrian rider, and you slap a horse hard enough and he'll yelp, just like a dog would. And this horse made no sounds. He was not nervous. He was not upset. They got a vet there. The vet looked at him and, you know, said, there's nothing I can do for this horse. I mean, and the pictures are horrific. And they they just put the horse down. But uh, they did call the police. The police showed up, took a report. And uh, the the gentleman and the girl, uh, the, the boyfriend and the girl said that uh, it was her horse. She said as soon as she got the police report, she'd get it off to me. And after about a month, I thought, well, they should have the report by now. So I got a hold of her, and she says, I can't get the report. I said, well, why not? She said, they said they never really made one up. And she said, I stood there and watched the guy make it up. He took our names, he took the horse's name, you know, the, everything, all the information about the facility, who owned it. Uh, the vet that was on the scene, he was there when they put the horse down. I mean, everything. And she said they said they didn't have a report. Now, why that was done, I have no idea. Uh, do I believe that there's an agenda out there that, or a protocol that's followed in certain instances? Yeah, I do.
When it comes to case files, how do you guys put them together? Lon, we'll start with you because, let's face it, every new phone call is a new case file created. How do you know which to investigate and which not to? Or do you just follow every lead? Lon? Is your microphone on mute? Okay, I'm there now. Oh, there you are. <laughs> Sorry. I thought the, I, uh, I thought no, the aliens I, got you there. <laughs> all about aliens here. I, uh, no, I, I'll initially get a report online and, um, uh, you know, email, and I'll, I'll follow up with the eyewitness. And it just depends on location. Now, I mean, I if it's nearby, that's uh, something that Butch and I can probably take care of, look into personally. But if it's somewhere else, I normally will get all the information right about the case, put it on the blog, and then if I can get an investigator to help follow up on on it, and, and if it's if it's something that we think we can help look, or you know, you know, it's worth looking into, then I'll turn it over to them. Um, that's normally how I handle these these reports. Now, if it's a case that I can do remotely as far as uh, a haunting or anything to that point, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I normally just do that on my own. And, uh, you know, it's, it's something I've been doing for years now. So uh, that's, uh, that's the way I handle it. It's, it's not particularly like writing up a case and, you know, but if it's something locally or something around this area, yeah, then Butch and I will look into it. Butch, how about you? How, when you're putting a case together, what do you look for? Well, if it be a UFO case, the first thing, after I get all the information I can get from the reportee, uh, I start looking at the background of that area. Um, historically, um, Witness-wise, location-wise, uh, type of craft, uh, day, weather, all that stuff. And, um, you know, you just start from there. And if you do find something historically, um, I, I try to meet, and I'll go a fair distance. I won't go around the world, but I'll go a fair distance. I always like to talk to the witness eye-to-eye eye and up front, and I want to see where it took place and what they've seen and if it was possible for them to see what they've seen. I had a gentleman that drove me nuts for five months to come down to Philadelphia, or out, right outside of Philadelphia, and he sent me a bunch of pictures, and I, I sent them back to him after I looked at him. I said, look, you're getting a reflection here. You shouldn't be using a flash at night, and he said, well, there's nothing here to reflect, nothing here to reflect, so I finally made the trip down. Got to the scene, we walked outside, and I said, you show me where you were standing with the camera. And I had my camera with me, or a camera. And he said, right there. And I turned the flash on, I pointed up the sky, and I flashed, and I showed him the picture. It was identical to his. He said, but there's nothing there to flash. I said, it reflected right off your gutter spout, right there on the lower left-hand corner. But it's showing over here. I said, that doesn't matter. It's a reflection. It can go anywhere it wants to. So, although it was a wasted trip... I guess I did get to educate somebody. <laughs> but is there really wasted trips in this? Is there wasted um, investigations? 
Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you know, you know, when when you're talking to folks, they're kind of making it up as they go along. So, uh, first contact is usually by email, and I'll go back and forth and ask you know some simple questions, nothing exciting, and then set up an eye to eye and ask those same questions again. Now, if I get the same exact reply, and then you you know you're going to some thought now, and you're going a little further. But when the story changes, now, it wasn't 4 o'clock in the afternoon. It was 8 o'clock at night. They're, they're trying to make the story better, and they're trying to enhance the story to make it more credible or, more, you know, more believable. And um, usually that's a big telltale sign when they start changing the story. And then I just I'll, I'll file it. I mean, I'll keep it on file, but I won't go much further with it, if any at all. Let's talk about Bigfoot here, Lon, because I know you love your cryptids. That's kind of what keeps you going here. You know, Bigfoot is something that is just an immaculate creature, especially if you have had an up-close and personal sighting. And I've mentioned my encounter with two of them very close within 100 feet. Everybody seems to be having some sort of experience, yet... I hear a lot in my community, which is a northern community in British Columbia, which is an outdoor community. A lot of hunters, a lot of fishermen, a lot of people out hiking, prospecting. And from all the hunters I talk to, they haven't even had an inkling of any Bigfoot activity. Why do you think this creature is so elusive? Um... Well, that's a good question. I, I, I guess that is the big question. I mean, and, and in fact, it's just not Bigfoot. It's a lot of other cryptids uh, that are just, you know, this kind of the same boot. We never find any evidence of a body or any other type of physical evidence. It's uh, always anecdotal evidence or eyewitness evidence. And, um, you know, that's why it happens i mean i i guess there are a lot of theories my what i believe and uh which is kind of gaining a little bit of momentum among investigators is i I believe there's actually a uh, interdimensional aspect to this um i believe that these beings are able to uh go in and out of um, different dimensions, not always on our earth plane, but able to move in and out. Um, As far as there being a flesh and blood type of animal, I I believe there is. I I, I do believe in your neck of the woods, there may very well be populations of these beasts. But as far as all the reports that, people were getting nationwide all over Canada. Uh, I I think that if these were actual populations throughout North America, I I would truly believe that there would be more physical evidence. That being said, you know, it's, it's all a theory and I, I, but I do believe there's an interdimensional aspect to these creatures. I agree with you on that, and I can tell you why. Firsthand, a few days after I had my sighting, I actually saw pixelation that was followed by a roar. 
and two of us saw the pixelation. All four of us in our group heard the roar about 20 seconds later. Why do you think so many people are quick to dismiss Lon, the fact that this creature may have some sort of special or supernatural ability? Well, I, I think the fact um, of Bigfoot itself, Sasquatch, is you know is ingrained as being an actual animal, you know, or you know, some type of hairy humanoid. Uh, a lot of people, I guess, aren't open-minded enough to believe that there may be something other than flesh and blood, which I can understand. Uh, but over the past couple of years, now that, you know, when I talked about this, because I have had this theory for a long time, when I talked about this 10 years ago, people thought I was crazy. I mean, you know, they literally told me, you're nuts. It just, you know, that's just not happening. But as time goes on and now I believe there are many more people that are opening their minds up to this possibility. You know, I have, I have talked to so many, so many investigators who have been on in the field that have actually seen these creatures and they're there one minute and they're gone the next. I had a, (laughs) there was one in, in particular in Sierra Nevada's, who had actually gotten behind and was following a Sasquatch. And this thing just literally vanished in thin air. And there was no way this thing could have, uh, could have hid somewhere. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that, you know, I, we don't have any way of proving it, but, uh, I, I do believe that, that, you know, is what is actually going on. And I, I do believe people, more and more people will start to look at this. And it just doesn't include Bigfoot. It includes other cryptids, other beings that people are reporting. I understand exactly this. And one of the issues that I take very big exception to on this show, and Butch and I have debated this topic numerous times, and Lon, I'll stick with you here for a minute. We have a lot of researchers out there who are using their own opinion as scientific fact. And they refuse to look into the other situations or the First Nations legends that somehow always turn back to supernatural or some sort of power or deity that it could be. Why do you think in the Bigfoot community so many people who claim they are doing scientific research are using their own opinion rather than actually conducting experimentation to see if this is the case or not. Uh, I guess it's just the nature of what it is. I mean, you know, most people who investigated Bigfoot and have been doing it for a long time are kind of set in their ways. And, um, even though, you know, there are more and more theories coming out there, you know, they're just set in their ways. Um, I, I, I can't explain it. I guess just people that are just more open-minded now. Uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I've heard, I've heard all sides of the argument. I mean, even skeptics as well. So, um, you know, I don't understand it. I, I just, 
that's the only answer I can really give you is, uh, you know, they just refuse to be open-minded about it. I agree with you on that. I'm not even going to debate you on that. And we have a lot of people out there who choose to not even investigate it. And I think that's the biggest pet peeve that I have. But we've gone over that conversation a number of times on this show. Do you believe that, like a lot of people do, and I'm kind of leaning this way as well, and Butch, I'd like your take on this. Do you believe then that that a lot of experiencers will say that you don't find Bigfoot. Bigfoot finds you. I would agree with that. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you're going out looking for Bigfoot, <laughs> and I know a lot of people have been doing this for a lot of years, uh, there's a very small percentage that ever even, you know, ever even getting evidence that there may they may have encountered one. Uh, I was lucky enough to have an, an experience. You say you were lucky enough to have an experience. Uh, I don't know a whole lot of people that have actually claimed to seeing this creature, but uh, it's very rare. I don't. I don't think you know if you're looking. I you know if you just you just happen to. I guess it's just at. I guess it's just a thing of being the right place at the right time. It is a very beautiful creature. And I was in within 85 feet of the one that gave me an absolute waist-high right side and back profile. I remember seeing the shoulders and, and just staring at how big this thing was. And one of the things that intrigued me was that there was no neck. And from the, t- the top of the head was kind of pointy, and then it sloped down towards the face, and that's all I saw before it disappeared into the trees. Mm. It, it was weird, though, because at that time of that sighting, I did not feel fear around it. I was the same way. I had no fear. And you a lot think of, you would. Yeah. But no. Yeah. But Butch, a lot of people out there think this is a an aggressive creature, much like we would think of with dogmen. Do you think it has to do with the area? Because I mean, let's face it, things are more laid back here on the West Coast. Yeah, it that that's a, a big possibility. Um a lot of the stuff that I've been reading over the years on Bigfoot, you have folks such as yourself and your type of sighting and Lon's type of sighting. And then you have the fortune and glory crowd, of, of course. You know, they're they're out there every weekend with the guns and the knives and the whole nine yards. And then there's the skeptical believers, and then there's the absolute skeptics. And like with I always get this question well did they ever hurt anybody did they ever attack anybody well no we can't find any reports like that going way way back a couple stories but when the stories were investigated it turned out to be a bear or uh, in one case it was a mountain lion that caused the damage but when you speak to the indigenous which 
I've been doing quite a lot over the last couple of years because of this bipedal canine. There seems to be, when somebody has a real connection, and when I say that, I mean a sighting, like you had or like Lon had, they don't have any fear. There's no fear. They're, they're, they're amazed. They're stunned. Uh, they're, you know, looking at this thing and trying to take it all in at the same time. But fear never comes into it. Whereas with the bipedal canine uh, type of creature, not dogman, but the bipedal canine, the wolf type creature, all they feel is fear. And so staying with on, on Lon's side of this, could they be from another realm, another dimension, parallel, universe, whatever? If you don't have an open mind to that, you might as well just stay home and read books and watch television. Because especially, not only in Bigfoot, but in, in any of these cryptid reports. They have one thing on their side. Now, how they obtain that is unknown. They have stealth. They can be there and not there. They can be followed and then disappear. Or they can be seen and they just walk off and disappear. Or a set of footprints leads to nowhere. Um, so... If you don't have that open mind that the only thing in your control that you have that you can use is technology. I mean, I'm not going to go chase down a Bigfoot. I'm too over that crap. Nor am I going to try to go hand-to-hand with some 8- or 10-foot-tall bipedal wolf monster or whatever. It's not going to happen. But if I can get them on uh, video or night vision, or thermal imaging. Look, if I could get a picture of something appearing through through imaging, which thermal imaging, nothing can hide from. It's cold and hot. That's it. So if, it's, if the camera is facing or the imager is facing toward a section of woods and there's nothing there, and all of a sudden something appears and it's man-like or wolf-like or whatever-like, and then it disappears then you have something. Then you have some evidence. But up until that point, it's just us against them as far as trying to locate them. And folks marching around on a mountain, for the, I know one guy's been doing it for about eight years. Never seen a thing. Thought he saw, thought he heard, may have heard, may have saw, but again... Nothing. But he keeps at it. And it's probably going to be one of those diehards that actually does solve it or walk into one. Lon, what's your take on that? Um, well, like I said before, I mean, you know, this... Um, You know, it, it's conundrum. I mean, it really is. You know, I, I I believe what I saw was real. Uh, you know, I was I wasn't afraid of it at all. I mean, I was curious. I was. I may have been in shock. I don't know. Uh, you know, it's been a while. It was a while ago. It was at a time when 
it was in 81, there weren't a whole lot of Bigfoot reports out at that time. There were, uh, you know, people were aware of the Boggy Creek legend and, uh, you know, the movie had been out before that. So, you know, when I had this encounter, the first thing I thought about was, well, maybe it was a Bigfoot, but I'm going to, but what I'm going to do is get a hold of the authorities and let them know this thing's out there. And, uh, since I was only like a mile out of a town, so that was my first thought at the time, but, uh, uh, I, I, I wouldn't do that now. I mean, if I saw, if I saw this, it was, I was the same situation. I wouldn't report it to the authorities. You know, I'm, I'll look into it a little further. And well, that's what I did myself. I mean, I, this sighting, I looked into it. There had been, uh, other sightings previous to mine with a creature they called the Sykesville monster. And, uh, it was, it was a Bigfoot described as a Bigfoot type creature. And, uh, I actually took the initiative after my sighting to start interviewing past witnesses and a few other people who I had never been interviewed. And, uh, you know, I was, I was curious enough that, you know, this, you know, since I had seen this thing, I wanted to know more about it. And that's re- really got me involved with cryptozoology. And it is a fun, fun thing to debate because we know these experiences, Lon, are happening to people. We know that not everybody is seeing something that is ordinary, whether it's a bear, whether it's a moose or a cougar. People are having extraordinary experiences. But when it comes to Bigfoot, there seems to be, it doesn't matter where you are, there seems to be this big split down the middle whether or not people believe in this creature. So for those who have never been in the field, what do you think they should be looking for? You mean, you know, if they they decide to go out there and what they should be looking for? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, they're, I, the first thing I would do, you know, not necessarily pick up a book, but I, you know, possibly get a book, start reading about it. If you've got interest in it, to go ahead and research it further. Talk to people that are actually involved with doing this. There are there are a lot of researchers that are serious enough that that's what they want to do, and they're not in for the fame and glory. You know, they're just they just want the truth. And uh, I would seriously, first of all, before I even went out, would talk to some of them, possibly go out with a few of these type of researchers, and a lot of them will, you know, will uh, invite others to go with them and, you know, to learn why they're out there. Uh, you know, there, there's evidence, I guess, if you have certain evidence that people say that these investigators say that determines that there may be a Bigfoot in the area. I don't know about that. I mean, you know, the, there, you know, you hear about tree knocking, you hear about, uh, bent trees and certain signs of Bigfoot activity. 
you know, on one side of the coin, that very well may be true. But of course, the other side of the coin is, I there's there's a good chance this is just incidental. I mean, this is something that's just natural occurring, and uh, um, you know, unless you get some type of evidence, sight evidence, or uh, physical evidence to prove that these creatures are actually you know, actually doing these type of activities, you know, it's all speculative, but no, if you, I, if somebody wanted to actually go out and start doing this, I, I would, I would actually try to get a hold of someone who has been involved with this for a while. First of all, do you think then Lon, and no, I'm not ignoring you, Butch. I'm just excited to have Lon on the air with us. Do you think then, Lon, that around North America, where Bigfoot is seen west coast, east coast, south, north, as far as we could go, do you think there are different species of Sasquatch out there? Or do you believe that because of the areas they they are in, they are taking on separate personas? There are a lot of different descriptions I have found over the years. Um, the East Coast, where I'm at, in particular, these these creatures seem to be more human-like. I know the the particular creature I saw was uh, it, it was it was big. I mean, it was about eight foot high. Had a lot of hair on the body. It was matted hair, but the face itself wasn't covered. Uh, it had a conish type head, but the, the facial features were indicative of what we would recognize as a Neanderthal. It, it looked human. Um, that happens to be the overall description of these creatures in this part of the country. Now, of course, out your way, uh, out in the, the Pacific Northwest, into Canada, uh, it's it's usually the standard <laughs> the standard description of a huge hairy beast that's got thick brown or reddish hair all over the body, and generally a, a little bit bigger around the body, as opposed to a lot of the other sightings. But uh, no, I, I and you know down south, of course, there's the uh, what people call the skunk ape down in this the southeastern part of the country. Then, of course, these are, seem to be a little bit smaller, but they have a more reddish hue to the hair, it's thick hair. And uh, of course, going into if you go west into Texas and Louisiana, the descriptions are a, a little bit different as well. So, yeah, I I, I do believe if if this is if this is an actual flesh and blood creature. Then yeah, there are differences. Now, if it's not, you know, this possibly an interdimensional species of some type, um, then I guess you know it's all open for debate. I, I don't know if you could be if you could say that there are uh, specific Bigfoot Sasquatch that come into certain areas. Butch, would you concur with that? Yes. Because um, a couple of years back, a, uh, a group in Oklahoma 
came here to Pennsylvania to do an uh, archaeological dig and to look at uh, some area where the owners of this property, a, a large campground, said that they had some sightings of a Bigfoot. Now, the gentleman they bring along is a uh, 25-year veteran police officer who's retired and knows these people personally because he owns a campground in Oklahoma. So uh, they start doing their dig, and they're finding what they're looking for, and then he goes down to a creek, which is nearby the campsite, to get some water, wash up a little bit, you know, and um, as he's cresting a little mound of hill uh, going down toward this uh, creek, he sees what he thought was a fisherman in a dark coat, kind of kneeling down at the water's edge. And um, as he gets closer, he still thinks it's a fisherman. And then this being stands up. And um, it stares at him. He's staring at it. It's got a fish in its hands. And it just turns and slowly walks away. But now, when you look at the distance of where he was and where this creature was, he said, we're talking about 15, 20 feet. He said, I got a good look. And he said, I had a sidearm. And he said, I could have dropped it like a rock. But he said, I couldn't shoot. He said, because it looked more human than it did anything else. Mm. And when he got back, he uh, had a, a friend of his do a forensic drawing from his description and he sent me the photograph, uh, the drawing, and it looks like a Neanderthal. That was my very minute I looked at it, I said, well, it's a Neanderthal, so where's the big, ugly ape? And this was what he saw. He said, he said, I couldn't shoot it. He said, even if I wanted to, I couldn't. He said, it looked more human than it did anything else, only hairy. But the face was not very hairy. I mean, it was scrubbly, you know, scrubbly like you didn't shave for four or five days. He said, but other than that, he said, I was looking at a human. And there have been other cases here in Pennsylvania where people described more human-looking than, say, something that's described, you know, out in the wilderness of Washington State or Oregon, where they're more ape-like, I would say. But... um, yeah, I, you know, these people see what they see. I mean, even just, I don't care what they're describing, whether it's a, a reptilian or a, a flying whatever or a, a, a bipedal canine or a dogman or or any one of the varied types of creatures that people report. They see what they see. Um, now, if I get one report over a year in a certain area and I get no others, I take the report, I file it, because there's that could be misidentification of anything. Somebody saw something big and brown run through the woods. Well, could have been a bear, could have been a deer, could have been a moose, could have been an elk, could have been anything. But when you get 21 or 22 reports of somebody describing something that they don't know what it is, but all the reports match, then you got something to look at, and is, that's where we are with the bipedal canines. I got a couple questions coming in from the audience. Trip is asking, and Lon, we'll start with you on this one. 
do skunk apes have four or five toes? Because there's changing reports on how many toes they have. I, um, from what I have found and what I've been sent to me, overall, I, I believe most of the cast or most of the footprints in that area have been four toes. And a lot of these toes are splayed. In other words, they're, they've got some distance apart from them. Now, the reason for this, is this a mutation or it's just indicative of the species? That adequate answer. But uh, it, it's not, yeah, it, it's a different type of print and a different type of foot on these creatures down in the, the southeast part of the country. Butch, I would be curious to get your investigative thoughts on that. Yeah, uh, they are. They're 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 very par- very far apart. They are splayed. They are always four. Um, size wise, compared to a, a typical Bigfoot, fifteen eighteen inch print, um, they are a great deal smaller. Probably half, maybe two thirds the size. And thinner, much thinner in the in the um, mid mid foot to heel area. But they are the splay is very wide. Like if you'd open up your your hand and just spread your fingers and take your thumb away, that's pretty much what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they are smaller. They are smaller in mm-hmm. size. Mm-hmm. Let's get to another question here, and this one comes from Bob. And, Butch, we'll start with you on this one, and then, Lon, I'll get your opinion on this. I really like this question. He says, why don't we get video as good as the original Patterson-Gimlin film anymore? (laughs) I saw a cartoon one time years ago where there's two guys sitting out at a camp uh, hunting for Bigfoot, and Bigfoot's like 50 feet away from him, and the guy yells to the other guy, get in the truck and get the worst camera we have. <laughs> and I just found that funny because, you know, you see every picture of, of alleged Bigfoot um, is either blurry or something's wrong with the photograph. Now, when somebody takes a photograph, and everything before, in the middle of, and after the photograph is in focus. But that object in the middle is totally out of focus. Somebody played with the camera. There's one picture out there that I saved from years ago. And I cannot find out who took it. I can't even find out where it was. It just showed up on the Internet one time, and I picked it up. And if I had to find it today other than my file, I'd never find it. The guy was a photographer by trade, and he was actually out photographing large birch trees in an area that had a huge fire many years prior, and his little piece was, you know, everything returns to nature as it was. And standing aside of this huge birch tree is what I would describe a Bigfoot, totally in focus, everything around it in focus, um... I did a check on the film, I mean, on the picture itself, the shutter speeds, I mean, everything was right on the money. He was on a tripod. It was a very good Nikon, very expensive Nikon film camera. And um, it, that, that photograph has just disappeared off the net. I have it. I printed it. I have it in a file. 
and I have it, you know, in a computer file, but I just don't know where, what, or who did it. But every when I see when I see all these groups going out and they got a video camera in their hand, or they got a, a, a camera hanging around their neck, and I don't care what the cheap camera, expensive camera, makes no difference. But there's no tripod. Now, if you've seen and you guys have seen something walk out, and you both visually saw what you saw. Was the first thing in your mind to grab a camera? No, not at all. No. No. Never entered your mind. You could have been standing there with a Hasselblad in your hand, a $10,000 Hasselblad, and the last thing on your mind would have been to pick it up and shoot. So when I talked to people and they asked how to do it, how they, you know, I said, look, if you have a research area, pepper the place with cameras. I don't care if it's trail cams or, or it's, or it's uh, infrared camera setups or thermal imaging camera setups or security camera setups or DVR setups. Get the cameras out. Don't go stomping around the woods. Just let the cameras do it. They're not going to move. There's no room for somebody getting nervous and hitting that trigger and moving the camera and jiggling the whole picture up. Whatever they get a photograph of, they're going to get the photograph of. But do you think they do that? Mm-mm. Show me a picture of any researcher out there today doing Bigfoot work, and let me see the tripod. The only time I've ever seen a group out using tripods in the field is J.C. Johnson and his guys. We just had them on on Friday night. Yeah, and J.C. knows what he's doing. And he knows that without a tripod, putting a camera in somebody that's facing down anything, I don't care what it is, the camera's going to move. It's going to shake. You're going to get a blurry picture. And I don't, I don't care if it's a, a cheap $100 camera you bought at Staples or it's a, 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 a $10,000 Hasselblad or Nikon or whatever. You're going to get a lousy picture. Same thing with UFO sightings. When people say, well, I had this, you know, they're, they're using a cell phone camera. Well, you're not going to get anything with a cell phone camera. First of all, if you're seeing something that's really bizarre, you're shaking like a leaf to begin with. So what makes you think you're going to get a good picture? There's a gentleman up in Schuylkill County that sent me a series, of, and he's passed, rest his soul. But what he did was he set up two video cams on night vision on a special bar that he made up on two tripods and pointed them up, and he ran the lines into the house where he'd sit in the house and he could watch, his, watch it on a TV or a monitor screen. And he sent me all these DVDs, DVDs of stuff he took, it's phenomenal. I mean, he's got some of the best photographs out there. But he wasn't touching the camera. He said, had I been out there, like I did before I made up that little setup, he said, all I got was blurs. They were there, but all you saw was these little blurs. He said, when I got the camera out of my hands and onto a tripod, I'm not saying everybody has to make up that kind of system, but at least uh, a tripod or 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 a, or a camera stick, you know, where the camera's mounted on a stick, and, you know, that's basically your tripod if you're hiking. But photographs are strange. They're very strange. All, all the equipment we use is basically, we set it up, we don't touch it. We let the cameras do their thing. They take pictures every, uh, take a picture every second on the security cams, uh, the infrared and the, Thermal imaging devices take their their pictures every 30 seconds, and I'm not touching anything. They're on tripods. So if something happens in those woods, 
is there a good chance I'm going to get a good picture? Absolutely. Is the camera going to shake? Not unless I trip over it. We have less than a minute to go, and Lon, I'm very interested in getting your take on why there hasn't been such a good quality video since Patterson Gimlin. And to me, that is the real truth behind Bigfoot, that it does exist. Because I'm a firm believer that in the 1960s, you were not sewing a pair of breasts on a costume just for a joke, to walk around the heated ground of California during the fall. I just don't believe anybody wouldn't be doing that. Wouldn't be doing that at all. I'm going to get Lon and Butch strange days to hold on. We do the strange days the final Monday of every month. Butch Witkowski is with us tonight. Lon Strickler from phantomsandmonsters.com is with us as well. It's good to have these two veteran investigators with us. Lon's first time. Butch has been going doing this for almost like two years now. He's a veteran of this place. Spaceoutradio.com is our website. Make sure you check it out. We will be right back with the final hour of SOR right after this. The SOR Sightlines is a place for you to find answers to your strange experiences. Hi there, this is Mike Schmidt. If you have had an encounter with ghosts, UFOs, Bigfoot, ETs, or anything else that doesn't make sense, head to spacedoutradio.com and file a Sightlines report. All information you give is 100% confidential, and I will personally help you find the answers you need. SOR Sightlines, your answers are a click away. Have you got your Cosmic Passport? If you need one, tune in to Cosmic Passport on Spaced Out Weekend. This is Elizabeth Anglin, ET experiencer, spirit medium, and host of Cosmic Passport. Each weekend, I'll be bringing you interviews and support from other paranormal experiencers and the best in intuitive spiritual guidance from across the globe. It's all happening starting at 9 p.m. Pacific Time, midnight Eastern, on spacedoutradio.com. Hi there. I'm Butch Witkowski, lead investigator with you 4 cop On the final Monday of every month, you can listen to me and host Dave Scott on Spaced Out Radio's Strange Days. We're going to get to the heart of the matter when it comes to what's happening out there. People are seeing and experiencing things from ET contact to Bigfoot, and I want to hear about it. Your experiences are what we investigators need to help solve these unknown mysteries. So tune in at spacedoutradio.com to the final Monday of every month from Butch Wachowski's Strange Days. Visit purpleplates.com today. For over 40 years, the Purple Energy Plates have been delivering amazing results for their many customers. Inspired by the great genius Nikola Tesla, the harmony, healing, and energetic effects of the plates have proven over and over to be beneficial and often miraculous to thousands of customers. With their money-back guarantee and the many benefits, how can you afford not to get one? Check their site for daily specials and choose from their many energy products. You won't be sorry. Visit them today at purpleplates.com for mind, body, and spirit, and expect a miracle. This is your medium, Joanna, from Spaced Out Weekend, Two Mediums and a Large. I would love it if you would come and join us with host James Tyson every other Sunday on Spaced Out Weekend. Together, we will take your calls and your questions live. Our goal is to provide you with a positive outlook on deep questions that you may have. Questions regarding love, relationships, money, or whatever else is on your mind. Come and check us out at spacedoutradio.com. 
This is Eric Markham, news editor for the Spaced Out Radio's The Encounter Online. We have put together a great team of writers and journalists from all over the world to bring you top quality paranormal stories, from alien encounters to the latest conspiracies. You won't find any of that fake news here. True stories and top-notch reporting as we look to bring these experiences to the mainstream. The Encounter online only at spacedoutradio.com. Patrolling the Pacific Northwest, we are always on the lookout for the strange and unassuming stories that real people are experiencing. Hi, I'm Vincent Zunza from Pacific North Weird. Me and Alexandra Sullivan have teamed to bring to you those odd stories that never seem to make it into the mainstream. Stories so weird that we'll leave you scratching your head wondering, is this real? It's as real as it gets with Pacific North Weird. You can watch our videos right here at spacedoutradio.com. Become more intimate and interactive with Spaced Out Radio. Join our Space Travelers Club with your new membership. For $5 a month, we'll provide you with special access to the website, monthly prize draws from books to psychic readings, along with monthly newsletter, private interviews, and more. Sign up today to be part of Spaced Out Radio's experience. Looking for a place to advertise at a very reasonable cost? Look no further than Spaced Out Radio. SpacedOutRadio.com has an advertising tab that you can click to check out our daily, weekly, and monthly packages to play on the radio or our website, including social media. From commercial spots to banners, we have it all. Check out our competitive pricing today. Don't have time to listen to Spaced Out Radio Live? Wherever you are, the car, the office, the shower, or even if you're traveling, we're right here for you. Each Spaced Out Radio show can be found on iTunes, TuneIn, and on our YouTube channel, Spaced Out Radio Show. It's the perfect way for you to catch up on our shows. For more information, just head over to our website, spacedoutradio.com, and tune in to us today. You hear footsteps in the empty room above you. A rocking chair begins rocking by itself. Don't be afraid of the things that go bump in the night. Reach for Spirit Story Box. The iPhone app the Huffington Post UK called the only ghost hunting app you will ever need. Spirit Story Box. The spirits are telling their stories. Are you listening? Strange creatures lurking in the night, the sounds of wood knocking in the forest, odd happenings right out of a fictional world. These are the reports I love. Hi there, this is author Ronald Murphy, and I would love it if you join me and Spaced Out Radio host Dave Scott the second Wednesday of every month on our journey into the unknown land of cryptozoology at spacedoutradio.com. From Mothman to Frogman and everything in between, hey, they don't call me the crypto guru for nothing. Did you know that Spaced Out Radio runs seven days a week? Hi, it's James Tyson from Spaced Out Weekend. Every Saturday and Sunday night, starting at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern, you can join me and my guests for some great chatter about what's going on out in the universe or even in that dark part of the basement you really don't want to go back into. Well, let's find the answers to your experiences together. So come on up to Uncle Jimbo's cabin on the weekend. For more information, look us up at spacedoutradio.com. The views and opinions expressed by tonight's guest and topic of discussion do not necessarily represent the official policy or position of Spaced Out Radio, Spaced Out Weekend, 
Spaced Out Radio Limited, its hosts, syndicated carriers, or anyone associated with this broadcast. You're listening to Spaced Out Radio with Dave Scott. Follow Dave on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio and hashtag Spaced Out Radio and on Facebook Spaced Out Radio Show. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the second hour or third hour of Spaced Out Radio tonight. I am your host, Dave Scott. Good to have you with us. Tomorrow night at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern Time, Gary Heseltine is going to join us all the way from the U.K. We're going to be talking about his cool website that dedicates UFO sightings to police officers, both retired and on duty. It's going to be an interesting show starting at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern Time at Spaced Out Radio. We want to welcome in our terrestrial radio stations tuning us in now. WQEE 99, Rock the Key, down in Noonan, Georgia, the home of the Walking Dead. Good to have all of you listening late night tonight as we just cross the 2 a.m. mark where you are. Thank you for tuning us in. And, of course, we are live in New Orleans on 107.7 FM on the United Public Radio Network, and over 160 countries around the world. Good to have you with us as well. We're live in Las Vegas on Renegade Talk Radio, and if you're listening in on Revolution Radio, remember the Double R Machine is a donation station financed by you, the valued listener. Head on over to freedomslips.com and donate today. Poet, I'm giving you a shout-out right now because you want to give me a shout-out in the chat room. Thank you so much for tuning us in. She's in the Spreaker chat room. Thank you so much. You're beautiful. I love you. Appreciate you tuning in tonight. Bill Cardwell has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Psychoneuroendocrinology. Psychoneuroendocrinology. I think that's how it's pronounced. I know it's endocrinology. I just can't pronounce the rest. So, make sure you use it wisely, space travelers, as Bill sets a password each and every night right here on the mighty S-O-R. If you want to follow us on social media, be like Ryan Knight Cole. Follow us at hashtag Spaced Out Radio or follow us at Spaced Out Radio. Give our Facebook page a like, Spaced Out Radio Show. Tune us in on TuneIn. Follow this show and others on iTunes. RadioGuide.fm, TalkStream Live, and on Stitcher. Our website is SpacedOutRadio.com, where we have a plethora of features for you, including joining the SOR Space Travelers Club, checking out the Encounter Online, and our website as well, because we have a ton of other stuff there for you. And if you want to become a patron of Spaced Out Radio, head to Patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. For as low as a buck a month, you can become a patron of ours. The final Monday of the month goes to Butch Witkowski and his strange days. Butch has brought a friend along tonight, Long Strickler, from phantomsandmonsters.com. Welcome back, gentlemen. Hey, Dave. How you doing, buddy? You know, i got to tell you, I'm starting to get a cold. I can feel (laughs) it brewing. I can feel it. And I hate colds, man. I hate colds. They're one of the worst things ever. Whoever invented them has to, like, I don't know, have a shoe thrown at them or something. 
maybe a left shoe. Maybe the shoe that doesn't wash up on the shores. But I'll tell you. Yeah. Starting to feel it now. Hey, right before the break, Lon, we were talking about video and why there really hasn't been an accurate video of Bigfoot in 50-plus years since the Patterson-Gimlin film. Do you think that film is out there, or do you believe that it's possibly not getting the press that it needs because people are so sick and tired of the CGI, the fakes, the fake suits out there, the fake videos, the blurry... You know, do you think that it's just too much and we just don't want to see it? Well, uh, <laughs> you know, that's a good question. I um, I do believe there is one well-known video that there's a, that has a lot of merit to it, and that's the 94, 1994 Paul Freeman Bigfoot video, which was shot uh, in the Blue Mountains of Oregon and and Washington state. I, I, I do believe that that's an accurate and authentic video. Um, I have seen my share of videos over the years, uh, images as well. And there are a lot out there that have some merit to it or have possibility of being authentic. The interesting thing is, you know, most people believe that, you know, if someone gets a very good video or a picture, they're going to put it out there because they want the fame and glory from it. But that I have found that that's just not the case. I have seen some videos that people have sent me just to look at and, you know, with the full story and I've talked to them. And, uh, they look very good, but they just refuse to put it out there. Um, I have seen some trail cameras with some very astounding photos, but again, a lot of people just don't want to put it out there. So, uh, there are some good photos in, in, uh, videos out in the other out in the either, but uh, a lot of people just don't want to fool with it. And I, I think it has a lot to do with, with ridicule. Uh, I guess people nowadays see that some person will put a video on YouTube and then there'd be tons of people out there wanting to discredit them right off the bat. And I, you know, I, I believe that's the reason why we're not seeing anything in the uh, in the public domain. Do you think that video exists, Solon? Yeah, I do. I really do. Now, you say you've seen some. What makes you so convinced that these aren't made up or CGI or something along those lines? Well, I've... I don't know. I, I don't want to call myself an expert because there's no expert in, in this field in anything as far as the paranormal and supernatural. There are no experts, but I have seen a lot of good ones and I've seen a lot of bad ones. And, uh, I, I guess I, I can determine, or I believe I can determine what's good and what's not. And, you know, I've talked to a lot of these witnesses who have sent this information and this evidence to me to look at. 
And uh, I do believe some of them. I really do. What is your opinion, Butch, on this new television show, Killing Bigfoot? Or do you think it's going to go much like Finding Bigfoot and become not killing Bigfoot, much like not killing or not finding Bigfoot? All of the above. <laughs> um, reality shows are reality shows. Um, the producers run the show. Um, I watched one episode where they were actually shooting at something in water, and they were blasting away, but there was no nothing hitting the water. So they were shooting blanks. Um, and I don't know if I'd want to be out in a bunch of, out in the woods with a bunch of guys with guns, just shooting at anything that moved or building traps to catch Bigfoot or reptilians or whatever the hell they're chasing this week. It's always something different. Um, I, I don't put much credence into that stuff. I, I'd rather, uh, talk to personally or email back and forth or whatever, Twitter, Facebook, whatever, with somebody that I know is out there doing the work. But the reality shows, they all go the way of the dodo after a while. Lon, what's your thoughts? Are they finally going to kill one of these creatures, or is this going to be a big waste of viewership time? Lon? I'm sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I'm going. I'm going to uh, say that the show Finding Bigfoot, for the most part, has kind of probably helped. Um, you know the hobby investigation research of the creature. I mean, it has gotten more people interested. That's definitely. It definitely has helped in that aspect. Are they ever going to find a Bigfoot? No, they're not going to find a Bigfoot because the show would be moot then. Um. Do a, a lot of researchers hope they find a Bigfoot? Nope. Because then that's going to make their books moot. Um, the show Killing Bigfoot, you know, despite my reservations, you know, I watched the first episode, the special they had beforehand, the first episode. Uh, you know, they made it sound like <laughs> they made it sound like they needed to get a body, a Bigfoot body in order to satisfy science. But then in the meantime, they seemed to think that they were protecting the public from some type of deadly marauder. Um, I, I just don't, I just don't buy into the whole premise of the show. Uh, and, and as well, I, I, you know, I don't believe and just like what Butch said, I, I don't believe they're actually using live ammo. The uh, the recreations, and they are recreations, just aren't believable. And, you know, it, it's it's scripted like a bad TV, like a regular uh, television show, even though it's supposed to be reality TV. I mean, no, it wasn't as bad as Mountain Monsters. And it wasn't as cheesy as that, but Nonetheless, it was still bad. And, and the premise of the show, to me, is disgusting anyway. Uh, you know, I'm I'm happy to be a no-kill advocate. Uh, 
and um, you know, killing a Bigfoot isn't essential in my opinion, or even moral. So, uh, you know, I don't believe in that type. You know, I I do, you know, I do watch a lot of these type of shows. Um, some of the good, some of the good ones, some of the some of the shows that kind of offer a little history. And not particularly just Bigfoot, but a lot of these cryptid type, cryptozoology type shows. But uh, quite frankly, this uh, this show in particular is just not my cup of tea. What about the idea that a lot of people say, and this gets to Bob's question in the SOR Space Travelers Club, if someone shot a Bigfoot and had it exposed to the world, do you th- either of you think that maybe that person could be subjected to being charged with a crime? I don't think it'll happen. I I personally believe that there have been a number of Bigfoot shot and killed. And the reason I say this is that a lot of every, and from some of the evidence that I have heard that I have been told, some of the things that people have told me, I do believe that the United States government just won't allow a body to ever be exposed. If, um, if one is killed, I just don't believe that anybody will have the ability to hide this thing or display it without it being taken from them. There just there just seems to be too much involved, uh, too many incidents that I have heard from people where this just isn't going to happen. I mean, it's just not going to be revealed. Why the government's involved to that extent, I don't know. I just look what happened when I had my incident and, and the police and the uh, authorities showing up after I reported my sighting, it, you know, that was all cover up. And I do believe they, they did capture this Bigfoot that I saw, but, uh, you never heard anything about it. I mean, it, it's just one of those things that got covered up and I, mine's not the only case. I mean, I've heard of others as well. Did either of you ever see that Les Stroud, show where you know he goes into the wilderness and he gets lost for seven days and there's you know the typical survivor man show where he was up in alaska i saw that episode twice the first time it showed that he was basically saying on camera that he believes he was being watched or tracked or his camp was being uh hunted down by a sasquatch because let's face it, Les Stroud is a believer in Sasquatch. Yet, the next time I saw that same episode, that piece where he talks about the Sasquatch incident had been edited out. <laughs> You're not the only person to tell me that. What I've you, heard that what, as well. What, what do you think about that, Lon? I think it was edited out for a reason. I... Uh... Was it because of his credibility with his show? Because he wasn't someone who was doing your average reality TV type show? No, I don't think that's the reason why. 
I think there were there were other reasons specifically I couldn't say, but I think um, somebody just didn't like what was being produced and it was edited. Butch, did you see that? Yeah, yep, yeah, and I and I agree. It was it was edited for a reason. Why, though? Good question. Give me your theory on that. Why? Why was? Uh, and these are reports, stories, whatever of um, uh, Mount Saint Helens when uh, creatures were taken out uh, as they were found by the military. There were there was one witness in particular who um, actually saw one body being removed. Now this was a dead this was a dead Sasquatch and uh, it had some burn to it, some burn parts to it. But they swear it that uh, the military actually took it out in a net suspended from a helicopter, and that wasn't. That wasn't the only body, apparently, that was taken out uh, that had from the uh, Mount St. Helens area after the uh, after the volcano. Now, that one we've heard of, and there's also the story out of I think the the mountain is called Bear Mountain Fire in Nevada in 1999 where there's a supposed story of a Bigfoot walking out of a forest fire and receiving treatment by first aid workers before being hauled off in a in a unmarked vehicle. Had you ever heard that story? Yeah, I heard that one. Yeah, I heard that one as well. Uh I don't, I don't know if that's conjecture or, you know, I don't know what happened in that deal, but yeah, I have heard of that. Yes, I have. Butch, what do you think about that sighting? Well, as in the Mount St. Helens, which there were a number of witnesses, just wasn't one guy. Um, and the, the one uh, at that uh, that walks out of the woods for treatment. I mean, if this thing was so wild and woolly and terrible and ready to kill everything it looks at, why would it walk out of the woods for treatment? You know? And how did it know that when it walked out of the woods it wasn't going to be killed? A lot more to Bigfoot than just this... Um, wild, woolly, big guy running around the woods. There has to be more to it than that. What about the theory... Sorry, Butch, go on. No, and the the stories just go back so far, it's just... It has to be more to it. There just has to be. Have either of you ever checked out the theory or investigated the theory that a lot of people feel that Bigfoot isn't seen by a lot of hunters because his sense of smell is so strong that he has learned the scent 
that gunpowder means danger. Now, a, a very good and one of the guys I respect the most in this field, Mike Johnson, out of Colorado, has a very strong belief on this. He used to arm himself before going in the mountains, and he noticed that the minute he did not arm himself, he was actually getting more activity around him with Sasquatch. What do you guys think about that? Um, I, I believe it's possible. I don't really have a strong opinion on that, but I, I believe it could be possible. I've, I've heard stranger things. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah, I believe that could be possible. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, when we go out, um, we have weapons on board, but they're non-lethal. They're deterrent weapons for animals, like, you know, if we'd run into coyotes or or something that wasn't very happy that we were there. But they're non-lethal. They're uh, not a firearm. Uh, they're used in zoos by police officers uh, for riot control. It's, it's basically a hard rubber ball. And that's all we carry. There's no lethal weapons in our vehicles. So you're not worried about the imminent danger that could be out there? <laughs> Can't no. say we're not worried. <laughs> <laughs> True that. True that. Uh, I mean, this this whole upright canine phenomena is kind of disconcerting anyway. Um, these creatures seem to hold their ground. Now, we haven't had any real attacks, per se, but I have heard people claim there have been attacks, not necessarily in Pennsylvania, but in other locations. Um, I, I I don't know. I mean, they... they I, I believe they're capable of doing something. But, you know, it's funny. And, you know, we were talking about the Bigfoot people not taking a shot, that people are armed not taking a shot at Bigfoot. We're running into the same thing here. We've had witnesses who were armed. They were hunters, and they've had high-velocity rifles with them. And uh, they, none of them even thought about taking a shot at these things. Does it have something to do with the humanoid aspect, being on two legs and uh, not on four? Yeah, I guess that's a possibility. But I, I you know... I think the fight and flight thing goes into effect when that happens and they just want to get out of there. And, uh, but it's not like these creatures run away. Um, Bigfoot for the most part, if they realize you're there, they're going to, they're going to haul, uh, you know, and another phenomenon we're talking about Bigfoot that, that has been coming becoming more prevalent and Stan Gordon and I have talked about this is people who who sight a Bigfoot and when the Bigfoot looks at them and it realizes that some that they're being seen. Now for some reason we've been getting more reports of Bigfoot reacting kind of surprised that they're being witnessed. 
Now, that is something that we are getting more and more of. I don't know if it has anything to do with if they believe somehow they are cloaked somehow. But they do seem to be reacting a lot different when than reports we had used to see, you know, used to get. I don't know. I don't know how to explain that phenomena, but that's something, you know, that's something that has been going on as well. One final question from Bob in the SOR Space Travelers Club before we switch over to Dogman and the bipedal canines you are researching as well. And Butch, we'll start with you on this. What is your opinion of the Bigfoot researcher and his evidence, Todd Standing? My mother told me never to say anything bad about anybody. Oh, um, come on. When has that ever stopped you? <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Um, uh, his reports, let's put it this way. His reports leave a lot to be desired. You're being very politically correct tonight. I don't know if I yes, like I this. <laughs> well, you might get a different rise out of Lon with that one. Lon, do you think it had anything to do with the fact that his sister was a Hollywood makeup producer? You know, I didn't even know that. But the, <laughs> I think the guy's crazy. I mean, I you know, I I think the guy's literally crazy. Where did uh, where did he lose everyone? Because when I started watching his films, before I watched the film and I watched a, a little bit learning about who he was, he sounded so credible. Where did he lose you? Well, the Sylvania thing, Sylvanic or whatever that area is he called, he did, had been concentrating on, you know, there may have been, you know, I may have believed some of that earlier, but when he started showing pictures of the Ewoks, I was kind of, um, <laughs> you know, I was kind of turned off by that. And, uh, I mean, anybody with any sense of mind would look at one of those photos, those images, and tell his makeup. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. You know, the the fact that, you know, when he did these uh, Bigfoot specials with uh, Les Stroud, you know, even Les Stroud didn't know what to think of this guy. I, I really, I, you know, it just you could tell that just by watching it. And he had questions about him as well, so I don't know. And, you know, I, that's about all I'm going to say about Todd Standing. I, I just do know that there are a lot of people in the Bigfoot field that just don't buy into what he's feeding us. Well, we'll leave it at that then, because I think we have a very, very good politically correct view from both of you, and I'm going to tell you right now. I'm kind of disappointed in you, Butch. Kind of disappointed yeah, I, in that one. I know. You were ready for me to rip and tear. I was. I was, because you do that so well on this show. And it's just not there. You know, I, I mean, I did put deodorant on and everything today, my friend. And it just wasn't there. Oh, man. I may cry. Uh, trust me. I wanted, I wanted to, but I thought better than not. I may cry, my friend. I may cry over that one, but that's okay. 
Lon, I don't know you well enough to cry in front of you yet, but that's okay. <laughs> I do have uh, some inquiries about Dogman. This is something that I think is roaming around British Columbia here, but just hasn't been officially spotted yet in a in a report. I know the natives and a lot of First Nations people in my area have not heard of it. They do not believe it's here. I tend to think differently just because of, a, 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 as stupid as this may sound to a lot of people, just because of a feeling that I had in the forests and the mountains behind my house a while ago. Do you think Dogman is, Lon, a little bit more prevalent than what we're actually giving it credit for? Oh, I believe it is. Um you know, for a long time, most of the, you know, there had been historic sightings here in Pennsylvania and Maryland and mid Atlantic. Uh, but it was very few and far between. We very rarely heard much about dog man, upright canine sightings other than those that were being reported in the upper Midwest in Ohio. And, uh, which, you know, uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, uh, Linda Godfrey has done a lot of research into that for years now, but you know other areas we just you know we just never heard about other sightings. Now I don't know why were people just not believing what they were seeing. Yeah, I guess that's a possibility, but for whatever reason, uh, I can only think about what we have been experiencing here in Pennsylvania. It just seems that in the past two to three years, these sightings have just literally exploded. And I'm just not talking the United States. We were getting sightings before this Pennsylvania flap up in southern Ontario and uh, Alberta and Manitoba as well. So, um, yeah, I, I do believe there are populations as far as your part of the country. I can't say I've ever gotten a report in that in British Columbia, but I, I have no doubt there there's something up there. I think it's here too, because let's face it, ninety percent of this province is trees and forests yeah. and mountains and lakes. It's very easy to hide or get lost in this area. I know when we found our Bigfoot tracks, we went exactly 150 feet in to where we were from the logging road where the first track was found. We found the second track, and my two buddies, one of them very experienced outdoorsmen, didn't know how to get out. Mm. It was just that, like vertigo is probably the way I can put it. You just spin around and everything looks the same. That's how thick the jungles and the woods are here. If you uh -huh. want to call them jungle. So to have a creature like Dogman not be sighted here as of yet, I think that is strong plausibility even though I'm still quite surprised that the First Nations here have not seen it. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're... I, I'm pretty sure there are. 
I mean, just the, just the way that, like you said, the way that British Columbia is made up. I mean, you're right. It's just there's so many uh, there are so many forest, thick forest. Some of the you know we we have all heard all the crazy type of settings that have been seen up in a uh, in Banff and uh, you know on the border there with Alberta and British Columbia. I have no doubt there's something there. I mean, I you know, we I've had reports in Alberta and uh as well. So yeah, I, I believe there's probably a population or a few rogue upright canines in British Columbia. I I have to laugh here. I I've been holding in my laugh here because at hashtag spaced out radio on Twitter, Mr. Skeptic has a picture of a man holding a hot dog, and he says, Dog man, real, missing, or just recently report, deported? <laughs> I, I am just try, trying to hold it in, because that, that's actually quite creative. Thank you for putting that on. Hashtag Spaced Out Radio. I appreciate that. But Dog man does seem to have, Butch, an aggression to it. It seems like a pissed-off cat. I think we should be calling it Catman rather than Dogman because, let's face it, cats are just pissed off at the best of times. Well, from what we've investigated so far, I think it's 22, 23 cases, Lana, if I'm correct. Yeah, and around there. Uh, the descriptions that we're getting from the western part of the state, from some researchers out there, um, are always, at one time or another, this, scene is, this, this creature is seen on its hind legs, but then again on its, on its all fours, uh, quadruped. And it also doesn't have the hands with claws. It shows more paws, like a, um, a dog or whatever, a wolf. And also, it doesn't stay upright very long, uh, which is about right, uh, whether it's a wolf or, or a dog. They, they can't stand on their hind legs very long, especially if they're big. And um, we have only one report, um, the Tuscarora report, where we have a gentleman sees two um, unknown creatures to him which he says are not coy wolves, not coyote, and they weren't dogs on all fours, but they were on all fours all the time. They never stood up. Another thing is with the reports, and I was talking to, as a matter of fact, Stan, uh, Gordon, uh, the, they're much smaller than what we received here. And out there, they're pretty much seen in a lot of open areas like parks, uh, parking lots, uh, dumpster diving, you know, that kind of stuff, where every report that we've gotten so far has been in a very heavily wooded, large uh, state or federal park. And, you know, um, when you have two or three reports within a certain area, of, even, if, even though it is 6,800 acres of, of woods, it kinds to tend to push you in a direction that, yeah, there probably is more than one, but they're using the park system to get themselves around 
because almost all of our parks, and along with the Appalachian Trail that runs through PA, um, are interconnected. And large towns or cities are, are very few and far between. I mean, they're mostly little hamlets and little boroughs uh, up in that uh, northern part of the uh, north central part of the, of the state. And they stay almost every one of our reports. Matter of fact, I'm thinking pretty much all of our reports have all stayed within an area which we call the Lichen Loop. Um, now we do have reports outside that area, but they're historical. Uh, some go back to the in the 1800s, some in the 90s, some in the 80s, some in the 70s. But this particular group that we're working on has pretty much stayed, with one exception, inside that Lichen Loop. Now, the Lichen Loop was changed a little while back to enhance it, to move it a little bit and elongate it and make it just a little wider to cover those. But still, they're within those large park areas. And those parks, they are so dense. Uh, it's the first time we went up to the very first, uh, for the very first field trip, um, just getting out of the van, I already knew the cameras were going to be worthless because you couldn't see but 20 feet. And I mean, from where I was standing looking into the woods, I could see even less. And having one of my guys walk into the woods and count off his paces to 10, I lost him at 5. I didn't see him anymore. He was wearing a red checkered, red and black checkered shirt. I mean, it's, it's everything, and it's not old. It's a lot of old growth, but it's a lot of new growth, and they're very close together. Uh, the trails are few and far between. But again, you know, like you get on this trail and you can you can go from this state park and if you go this way past a dam or another large wooded area, it takes you to another state park. So the Lichen Loop has almost become like Lichen Grand Central. And our, our, our creature descriptions are all alike, with that one exception where it's on all fours. They're all seen upright. They have a very large wolf head. Eight to ten foot tall, very muscular chest, long arms, muscular with hands and claws, hock legs like a dog, thin waisted, very heavily thighed and leg muscles, and glowing yellow eyes. As opposed to the reports from out in the western part of the state with the dogmen reports, which say glowing red eyes and different types of fur, like fluffy or mangy or multicolored. Our reports always say either black or very dark brown. Out there, uh, there some of the reports, you could scare them off, throw a stick at them, yell at them, and they'll run, almost like a dog would. Ours stand their ground. And on three occasions, um, the reports we have, they were confronted with guys with high-powered rifles. So... They didn't move, and all those guys thought about, even though they had a high-powered rifle in their hand, was, I need to get out of here, and I need to get out of here now. And in the case of the guy near a, near a swampy area in, in the, a state park who had a weapon, he said it locked eyes with him, and although all he had to do was raise the gun six inches and pull the trigger, he put the gun down, pointed down, and backed out to his car, and he said that thing never took its eyes off him, and he never took its eyes off it. And even as he was pulling away, the creature was still watching him. So they show no fear, none of them, not one. 
And in the, the, the one up in Tuscarora, where the guy is in the tree stand, and this one creature walks up to him, I mean, it's, it's, it squats and starts to growl at him. Now, that's the first aggression we've had with growling. But again, we don't know what the heck he saw. He reported to the game commission. They said, oh, we have a lot of large dogs running around here. And he, you know, the guy said, look, he said, this was no dog. Not at all. He said it was um, uh, wolf-like, had a, a hyena-type back on it, you know, at the neck area, uh, kind of funny-looking legs with uh, mangy hair on it. Um, I don't recall if he mentioned anything about a tail or anything. And that's another thing. We don't have any report of this thing being seen, ours being seen with a tail that's right. at all. Where the dogman reports in the western part of the state all say, you know, short straight tail or a medium-sized mangy tail or a long fluffy tail. So the difference between the reports we got and the ones out there, although similar in some respects, are even more different than each other as opposed from the western part of the state and into Ohio and West Virginia, which report the same type of creature as the ones we have here in north-central Pennsylvania. And even when we went back and looked at historical reports, again, the descriptions match what we're seeing now. So are we dealing with something that's been there a very, very long time? Are we dealing with something that's interdimensional, come and goes as once, like a.k.a. Skinwalker? Um, I mean, there's a, a lot of things you can throw at this, but until we get one, some kind of proof, whether it's a footprint, or, you know, uh, or... or um, uh, a good video or good thermal imaging, uh, you know, we're, we're just going to have to keep trying. And uh, we're going to be heading out shortly again. And, um, and we have credible witnesses. We, uh, with, all, with all the ones we had, we only caught one that was kind of blowing smoke. Other than that, I believe every one of them. Lon, do you feel that this creature is just an attitude of an animal or whatever it could be? Do you feel that it has any type of supernatural ability, much like people believe Bigfoot does? Or do you think this is just a whole different species whatsoever? No, I, 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 I believe that it's actually supernatural. For the most part, I do believe these things, these creatures are um, are not indigenous, let's put it that way. But, I mean, they could be flesh and blood, but I do believe they're able to move in and out somewhere. Some of the, uh, some of the evidence that I believe, and Butch touched on this, I believe the... the, the these uh, upright canines that are being reported in in central Pennsylvania, I think they migrate. And I believe they migrate between central Pennsylvania into western Maryland and in West Virginia. I've uh, There have been sightings as far south as the West Virginia Mason County area which is also where Point Pleasant is at. Um, we have gotten reports from down there as well. I believe they may very well move in the valleys of the uh, of the Appalachian 
valleys from West Virginia into Maryland and Pennsylvania. And I, I, I believe they do, you know, I don't know if there's a specific seasonal thing. There may, I don't know why they do that, but I, I am pretty sure that's what's going on. A lot of these sightings and descriptions match those sightings and descriptions that were part of a creature that was called the Dwayo, Dwayo, um, from back in the eighteen hundred, late eighteen hundreds, in Maryland and uh, Pennsylvania. Now, why they're being seen now? I don't know. I mean, there may be more of them. I don't know what's going on. But, you know, there has there has been a historical record of uh, these type of sightings throughout the state. But it was very scattered here and there. A lot of people just thought it was folklore. Um, though back in the back in. The mid 1800s, there were a, was a large concentration of sightings in Frederick County, Maryland, and um, there was about four or five well documented sightings in a very short time. So, um, you know, I don't I don't know if it, these creatures are part of that or not. I do have to ask you a serious question, and I've asked Butch this previously on this show. Have you ever thought of carrying a tennis ball with you when you're looking for dog man just to see if it would fetch? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that would happen or not. I, I, I've, got my, I've got my whole plan of attack ready. I mean, I, if this I know you come, do. If this thing comes out of the woods and starts charging toward me, I'm just going to yell, sit, and see what happens. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, the tennis balls with where you got to get one of them fancy, you know, plastic arms that you throw it with so you get more distance. I think you're on to something because it'll bring it back. I think you'd do better with a leg of lamb than you were a tennis ball. Yeah. <laughs> what about a rolled up newspaper? I doubt it. Damn it. I smacked those. <laughs> Way to, way to ruin the theory, Lon. Thanks for the reality break, man. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. <clears throat> Lon, I'm curious to ask you on this, and I apologize, Butch, because I haven't heard Lon's uh, opinion on this, but do you believe that Sasquatch and Dogman are surviving in the same areas, or could this be like the days of Mothra and Godzilla where we could see some pretty good battles in the forest if these two came together? Well, there there may be. I don't know. You had J.C. Johnson on the other night, I, I believe. Uh, you know, I've been associated with J.C. for a number of years now, and he's in a research area right now where Bigfoot and uh, Dogman kind of coexist, but it's very tentative, and uh, apparently there have been some clashes up there. This is up northern Minnesota. I don't know if he had mentioned any of that to you or not. As far as Pennsylvania goes, I have not heard anything about them being close together, though we get reports in the same areas. I do believe that um, the dog man, for the most part, stay down in the valley areas, 
the lowland areas as opposed to Bigfoot, which kind of tend to be into the mountains and to the higher regions. Yep. Eric Cooper actually brings up a very good question here in regards to the dog man. Has anybody tried a dog whistle to see how it would react? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I have it done. I don't like too many people that had run into a dog man had a dog whistle with them with the anticipation they were going to run into one. And really, there aren't a whole lot of researchers in the uh, Pennsylvania, uh, Western Pennsylvania, Eastern Ohio area that are out really looking for that specific uh, yeah. creature. Uh, you tend to have more researchers down in West Virginia, uh, southern West Virginia, and central Pennsylvania looking for these uh, creatures. Uh, I don't know why that is, but that's just what seems the way it, the, the reports come in, that we'll get more reports so, south of Pennsylvania and um, southwest of Pennsylvania on, on uh, dogman. And then the bipedal canines, the, the wolf-looking thing, um, kind of stays up in the central Pennsylvania. And, you know, I'm looking at a map right now, uh, which I haven't looked at for quite a while. But, you know, you can go from, you know, like uh, our Allegheny National Forest, which is huge, and you can just pretty much walk through the woods over to the Susquehanna, Susquehanna uh, uh, National Forest. But you can just follow the, the forest all the way down into Maryland mm-hmm. and along the Appalachian Trail. And then when you get in, when you're in West Virginia, I mean, you know, you got the George Washington, the Jefferson National Forest down there. Those places are huge. I mean, I, I think that the combined uh, acreage on the two of those, if I remember right, was something like 69,000 acres of woodland. That's a lot. So to find one strolling around outside that area, you know, in plain view, hey, it's going to be really tough. That's why we keep going into the woods or, you know, as close as we can get to where the sightings were. And as well, the Appalachian Trail has a lot of stories. Oh, yeah. There have been a lot of stories that have come off the Appalachian Trail, sure. and particularly in central Pennsylvania. And uh, people see things they couldn't identify. There have been Bigfoot sightings, but there have been a lot of weird sightings. I want to get to this question because time is starting to wind down, and this one comes from Dawn in beautiful Alberta. And she is asking, Butch, last month you were discussing the distortion evidence that you were looking into. Did you ever get more evidence or figure it out? Uh, we, Lon and I and his son, Matt, uh, we went down to that location um, the 25th or 26th of last month. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, to make, you know, it just, every time we go there, it just gets stranger. Um, we were out, uh, first we were inside talking to the gentleman, uh, at the property there, and then we were outside and I showed Lon where, and it was still daylight and I showed him where I saw the first one and I saw the second one. And then it was getting dark kind of quick and, uh, I got a FLIR device out and 
the one up on the end, although it moved to the left a little bit, was there, different shape, but it was still there. And Lon was standing right in front of the door where the other one was, and that one wasn't there. It was up on the roof line. And, again, bigger than the other one. Now, uh, another weird thing was, and Lon can tell you what he heard as he walked up to the door, um, uh, he heard what he thought was chanting. But now here's the weird part. The day before, the day before we were there, we had a huge and very devastating windstorm here. And it took out, it rolled over tractor trailers, it took roofs off of barns, it knocked down silos. I mean, it did a lot of damage. The path that this wind took, (laughs) this is hard to explain. There's a home that sits right next to this guy, and it's, it's not a half a city block away. Suffered 50 trees knocked down in his, in his, on his property. And these aren't little trees. These are big trees. Across the road and all the way down through the path of this thing, there was nothing but destruction, total destruction. Going the other way, which would be the back of that residence, that farm, there was damage all the way up through this mountain road. Houses, lost roofs, cars damaged, the whole nine yards. This property didn't so much as get as a loose shingle. It had no damage whatsoever. None. Zero. And the home was built in, what was it, 1885 lawn or something like that? No, the 1850s. 1850s. Now, it's an old home. And you would have thought that stuff would have been flying off of there everywhere, including there's a couple outbuildings there. Nothing was touched. There wasn't any debris in this guy's yard or on the property. Yet, before the property and past the property, there was this massive destruction and to the, to the right of the property. And his property wasn't touched. Gentlemen, i got to start to wrap things up here. Butch, ten words or less, have you figured out what it could be? Uh, no, but I just uh, uh, purchased a, a Fleur video cam. Uh, and I'm going to go down and do the whole place. Excellent. And see if see if there's more than one. Lon Strickler, thank you so much for being a co-guest tonight on Strange Days with Butch Witkowski. I'm so excited that you actually came on the show. That makes me feel good. Thank you so much. Oh, I was glad, glad to come on. Uh, maybe we can do it again. Well, I hope so. You're welcome back anytime. I'm sure Butch wouldn't mind sharing some time with you again. Absolutely not. Any Absolutely. Let's do this. Guys, I'm gonna get you to hold on. I gotta wrap this thing up. If you're listening in on the terrestrial side, you hear Mr. Ron Bumblefoot Thal, formerly of Guns N' Roses, currently of Art of Anarchy, the official music of Spaced Out Radio. Bumblefoot takes us in and brings us out. Every single night, we want to say thank you to everyone listening in on WQEE 99 Rock the Key and on the United Public Radio Network live on 107.7 FM, Renegade Talk Radio, and Revolution Radio. Much appreciate all of you tuning in in the chat rooms and participating in this show. 
tomorrow night, 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern time. Gary Heseltine will join us. Police and UFOs is the topic. It's going to be a fun one indeed. Make sure you check out our website and all of the features we have at spaceoutradio.com, including the SOR Space Travelers Club, the Encounter Online, and be like Milo. He just became a patron tonight at patreon.com. Thank you, Milo. Appreciate you joining the club. It's going to be a lot of fun. The more, the merrier. Let's get involved. Let's spread the word. We will be back at exactly 21 hours from now. I hope you are too. Do us a favor. Tell a friend. Share a show. Because we want to own the night. And we can do that with your help on a nightly basis. Follow us on Twitter, at Spaced Out Radio. Give our Facebook page a like, Spaced Out Radio Show. We're on TuneIn, iTunes, RadioGuide.fm, TalkStream Live, Stitcher, and our YouTube channel is Spaced Out Radio Show. Mr. Bumblefoot, take us home.